1954, John Landy became the second man to break the magical four-minute mile, just under two months after Roger Bannister. His 357.9 was a world record which stood for three years. He also claimed the 1,500-metre world record en route. That set the scene for a head-to-head against Bannister later that year at the Vancouver Commonwealth Games. In what is now known as the Miracle Mile, the Race of the Century and the Dream Race, Landy led up until the final bend when Bannister went past to claim the gold in 358.8 to Landy's 359.6. John was a two-time Olympian, both in 1952 and 1956. He recited the Olympic oath at the 1956 Melbourne Olympics, where he also won a bronze medal in the 1500 metres. John was not only a phenomenal athlete, but was also regarded as a true gentleman. During the Australian Mile Championship at Melbourne's Olympic Park in 1956, with about a lap and a half to go, a young Ron Clark tripped and fell. Landy leapt over Clark and then turned back to help his rival to his feet as the field rushed past him. After checking on Clark, he got going again, circled the field and won the race, which assured him a place on the Australian Olympic team. It was voted the finest sporting moment of the century in 1999 by the Sport Australia Hall of Fame, but he said he would have preferred to be remembered as simply a good runner. His fierce rival, Bannister, retired from running in 1955, later describing Landy in Sports Illustrated as an athlete faster, neater and more generous than any other. John went on to become the 26th Governor of Victoria between 2001 and 2006. He was also a lifelong butterfly collector, donating his collection to the Australian Museum in Sydney. Sadly, John passed away on the 24th of February, aged 91. On behalf of the Inside Running community, we would like to send our condolences to John's family and friends. This episode of the Inside Running Podcast is brought to you by Pillar Performance, Australia's leading sports micronutrition brand, providing high-strength formulations to support recovery, elevate energy, and relieve joint inflammation for endurance athletes. Available now at pillarperformance.com.au. Welcome to episode number 226 of the Inside Running Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another week uh, big show coming at you, a bit of running news coming at you from Hobart, a bit to reflect on in the world of running that's happened here and overseas, and um, yeah, all the usual segments that we have on the podcast each and every week. Recording on a Sunday evening this week, so uh, different kind of vibes at Inside Running Podcast Podcast HQ, but hopefully the show comes across as normal. Welcome to my co-host, Dan in Anglesey, fresh off his uh, time trial race handicap thing this morning, Julian Spence, how are you going? Good, thanks. You pulled up tired, pretty well. You? Had a big yeah. morning this morning. Pulled up all right from it. It was only um, the second kind of workout I did for the week, so just like just like another with a six k warm up cool down. That wasn't too bad, really. 
Yeah, okay. And Bradley Croker, my co-host from Canberra, how are you going this week? Going well, Brady. Yeah, I've had a, had a good week of training, uh, enjoying my running, so no complaints. Bradley Ingebrigtsen, I was going to introduce you as, actually. Fully forgot to say that. How many kids Isn't are in that he family? So happy, he's so happy with himself, The ninth Ingebrigtsen? He is such – he's really riding high at the moment. Oh, yeah. He thinks he's, like, discovered this, like, piece of gold or something, doesn't he? Yeah, he's watched one YouTube clip and all of a sudden he's an expert on coaching. Do you you know what I'm up and about about is the fact that I can actually run and my legs do what my brain tells it to do, which I haven't had for a long time. So it certainly makes running enjoyable when you're moving the way that you should or you know you you can. You know it would be a good laugh, Croaks. Change your last name on um, Strava to Britain and put a little Norwegian flag emoji. You would get that many kudos comments and stuff like that for doing that. That would be a great gag. I shouldn't have said what? on air. I should have said do it off air and then you would nah. have taken all the credit. But that would be good. No, nah. let's just see whether the training actually works, eh? Well, what, you're one week into it, aren't you? I'm one week in. Give, yep. us, give us a recap of the week. I want to hear it. All right. So, um, yeah, Monday just went out for an hour um, after work. Uh yeah, 424s. And then Tuesday was, I guess, the first session for the week. So out at the track, uh, the plan was to do 16 400s off 30 seconds recovery. Um, and the range was sort of somewhere between 5K and 10K pace, but sort of average somewhere in the middle for the whole session. Um, there was a good group of us. There was probably like six in the pack. Um, like I probably ended up leading uh, maybe six, six or seven of the reps overall and they sort of range i think the slowest was like 79 and the last one was 70 um averaged about 76 for the for the whole actually i ended up doing 17 because we lost count um it's a lot of reps <laughs> um so yes average 76 for the whole session which what's that that's like 310 kilometer pace so you know i reckon i'm in probably high 15s 5k shape um but I, like i loved it it was just that rule comfortably hard. Like I could have easily done 20, 25 of these. And looking at the heart rate data, what I like about it is you get your heart rate up reasonably high. Like I was hitting high 160s, low 170s, but it doesn't feel too taxing. And that 30 seconds recovery, your heart rate doesn't come down a lot, but it's enough for your legs to feel recovered. So like biomechanically, you feel really smooth on all of these reps. And obviously the pace is not super quick, you know, as I said, the quickest one was 70 seconds, which is, you know, probably what, three one rep at 3K pace and the rep, the rest at sort of 5K or slightly slower. So um, pulled up really well from it. Hey, um, just yep. just you got your whole squad on it now. Just yeah. changing philosophy here. No. Craig's just no. made some whole change because he's changing. <laughs> Hold up, boys. I've learned something. Yeah, I'm just on his driver as well. There's a few doing it. I watched this, I watched this video on YouTube. We're all doing this tonight. No, so um, a lot of the guys at the moment are training for Canberra Marathon. So they had a really big, um, like, Saturday workout. So it was something where they're just, you know, obviously doing something a bit quicker than marathon pace, but it's still quite an aerobic sort of session. So I thought it, I thought it would actually fit in quite well for the marathoners, um, which basically most of the people that were doing this session with me are training for Canberra Marathon. So I, I thought it, I thought it worked out pretty well, but. No, yeah, they're not doing. Yeah, they're not doing, doing a all stack the sessions. Four hundreds is um, pretty standard in a marathon block, isn't it? Yeah, and they're not doing. You know, they the the rest of their week was completely different to what I did, but I thought that session would would um, you know fit in quite well to their program. Um, yeah, so then Wednesday, 
this was pretty tough actually like largely just had a really like long day at work um outside on my feet and so then uh yeah and and it was a slightly hillier loop to what i've been doing plus a bit longer so i did 80 minutes on wednesday um 421s but it was just one of those where you know just after work it just didn't feel (laughs) i was just happy to get it done um thursday was much the same but i only did uh like 10 and a half k at 426s but just those two days at work just really killed me and sort of makes you realize like the difference between although the session on tuesday didn't take much out of me like just being on your feet all day and then going and training it's it's a lot harder than if obviously you're not doing that sort of stuff um so that was thursday friday i did a treadmill session um so this is the one session of Fortnite where I basically sort of, it's going to be a longer sustained session. So it could be a progression run. It could be just a straight tempo over hills, um, something like that. And so I jumped on the treadmill, didn't really know how, what I was going to do exactly. Originally I thought maybe I'll do eight minutes, like four by eight minutes. So starting at like 16K an hour, then eight at 16 and a half, but I thought, Early on, I thought, you know what, I don't want to bite off too much. So the good thing about a progression run is you want to feel comfortable, you know, for at least three quarters of it. And so I thought if I if I bite off too much early on, then it could end up being a lot tougher than I want it to be. So I decided to make it 10-minute blocks. So I did 10 minutes at 345s, 10 minutes at 338s, 10 minutes at 332s. And I still felt pretty good and then um, went in like three minutes at 326s to sort of make it 9K. Um, so I think average heart rate was just over 160. So the first 10 minutes was, you know, mid to high 150s, and then it sort of just went low low 160s for the next one, mid 160s for the last or for the third 10 minute, and then close to 170 for the um for the last three minutes. But that felt felt pretty smooth once again, like in that comfortably hard sort of zone. So average 337s for for 9k um, Saturday. Did an hour uh, out at Mullig, or just over an hour, my 14K loop, 423s. Listened to the Chris Wardlaw interview, which will be on at the end of this episode. Um, really enjoyed it, Brady. Well done. Thanks, I, uh, he, um, yeah, he speaks really well, and he's got so many so many good stories. A uh, bit of mayo on some of them, I reckon, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a good interview. Well, you've so. got to call him out. I'll ask you at the end of the show. I might ask you what are your reflections, your takeaways <laughs> from that conversation, and then I might cut that and put it after the interview. Yeah, okay. I don't know what you think has mayo on it. Um, yeah, so uh, this, this one I felt much better. So like the Friday, so coming off the Wednesday and Thursday after work, Friday I was at home all day writing programs. So I felt awesome Friday afternoon and same Saturday felt great. I was almost going to jump on the treadmill that afternoon for a double, but I thought, you know what, like I'm, I'm still building. Like I want to I have somewhere to go with like my mileage and that sort of thing. So I don't want to be too greedy at the moment. Because I thought if I do somewhere close to two hours on Sunday, I'll get around 120 in singles, which is a pretty good week, I think. Um, so then today, um, met up with Sam Toll, um, Victorian guy. I think you've raced him a bit, Brady. Yeah, Glenn Huntley guy. Yeah, yeah. So, so his girlfriend lives up in Canberra. So he messaged me, um, and yeah, to see whether I wanted to go for a run on Sunday. So I took him out to Mulligans. So we did sort of about ninety minutes in Mulligans, and then headed down to Yarrabee Pond. Uh, it was like it was solid, like average four tens for just over twenty seven k hour fifty three. Um, but 
given I did a session on Friday, it wasn't like I did you know, a session yesterday, um, average about 150 heart rate, well, although that was wrist heart rate, so I'm not sure how accurate it was. But um, yeah, it was good, hundred and well, yeah, about 119k for the week in, in singles, so it was good. Is that what about, hey, um, school teaching bang you up a bit? Oh, it I, I does. Get, it's more physical depends. than sitting at home, but it's not like you're working a tradie job. Yeah, but it depends what da- what my day is. So, like, if I'm all day PE. Oh, yeah, that's different. <laughs> and I'm outside pretty much every lesson and it's hot and humid, like, you're pretty, you're pretty knackered, like, by the end of the day. And then you've got to go and run 18K. It's very different to doing it, you know, Teaching without having done that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So if yeah, I have a day right. where I'm, I'm in the classroom, it's okay. Yeah. Now it's so. a good week. How are you feeling towards stall? How many weeks have we got? Eight weeks? <sighs> Seven weeks? Uh, you keep yeah. this up. You'll go in the favourite. I yeah. I won't be doing any 15 or any mile-specific training <laughs> in You're the lead-up to this. You're doing 400-metre reps. You just did 17 400s. Yeah, at 5K pace. <laughs> yeah, but still, you just keep them under control and then smash them on race day. Yeah. But, like, oh, yeah, I definitely won't be doing anything – I won't be changing anything to prepare for that race specifically. What have we got? Um, seven weeks tomorrow. Yeah, Easter yeah. Monday. So, wait, look. The thing, the thing I've enjoyed about this last week is the sessions. I, I think this whole training, like program, it's sustainable. So you come away from the sessions feeling like you've worked, you know, a bit, but you pull up really well from it, and it means that I can actually build my mileage up around these comfortably hard sessions so that's that's what i really enjoyed about the week you have to be fit to run a good mile not that fast you'll be right we talked about this in the interview remember chris wardlaw was saying that like was he talking about stewie or motram or something like that Mm. it's got to be strong you don't have to do the speed work oh moose will be moose will be pumped then he'll be an aerobic beast and he'll be he'll be favorite yeah, we've got to wait and see the handicaps. Can't really talk who's the favourite and stuff before we see the handicaps. Well, that's where – so they ask you for your PBs oh, and then yeah. they ask you You're for your se- – Then they ask you for your season's best over 800, 1500 and 3K, <laughs> all of which I haven't – I haven't run a 3K since 2015 and I haven't run a 1500 race since 2010 <laughs> and I haven't run an 800 race since like 2005. So and, I, and I'm not going to between now and stall. So they're going to handicap you on your PVs because you've got no other data for them. Oh, I'd probably prefer that anyway because then I've got a good excuse. <laughs> well, we're we're going to be in the same boat, really, except yeah, for but his PVs like, are better than yours, Moose. Yeah, that's true. Why don't well, you just go roll around just a little track meet in Canberra? That's not, what you should do, and then then you get. I'm not changing my training to go and do a 1500 race. Then he'll he'll win and he'll get called out for cheating. Oh, but, yeah, because if you submit bad data, you get fined. Yeah, he goes yeah. run 410 in that 15 at, at Canberra Shield or whatever they call it up there. That wouldn't be line moves. I would actually take 410. Oh, I would 410 not run a 410. sounds really difficult right now. What's that, like 68s or something? No, it's like 66. 66s or oh. just over 66s. Yeah, I ain't yeah. running 410. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You guys are fine. You guys are underestimating how fit you guys are. Brady's the one that's up and about about stall. Well, I have got a season's best. So my season's best for 1500 is 404 and my 800 is two minutes flat. Yeah. So you, can tell was, who's, you can tell who the youngest guy is on the podcast. I'm assuming I've handicapped on that. But because of one, sometimes if you want it, you get like you just get an extra like tax on your handicap. They bring you back an extra 50 metres because they don't like people winning twice at stall. But surely 10 years ago, that's 
that's got to be waived, I think. Anyway. No, I don't think so. We'll wait and see. Moose what do you say? Once a store winner, always a store winner. That's isn't it. that, isn't got, that your line? Still got the sash in the shed. Actually, we'll do a live stream one week and I'll wear the sash while we, while we record it. Maybe bring it to stall and wear it in your warm-up. That's not a bad idea. Just really intimidate a few blokes. It's <laughs> not a bad idea. Tell us about your uh, week, Moose. Uh, I, I had a, a bigger week this week for me. So that, this is my biggest week in a long time, actually. I ran 145.4 kilometres. Oh, yeah, yeah. This includes the one that... Oh, maybe... I, I did a manual upload. I'm not sure if it includes that because for some reason my um, my Coros didn't link to Strava. Yeah, well that that was the same day mine did the same thing, Wednesday afternoon. Yes, that's right. That, yeah, because oh, yeah. mine, I remember checking back like Friday. I'm like, oh, I thought my Ks were a bit higher than that. And then my Wednesday afternoon job wasn't there. And then I saw that you did a manual upload. So then I just exported the file and uploaded mine. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't go to that much trouble. But your Strava still, it only still says 125. Are you still doing that private Oh, yeah. Thing? There's a few that, there's a warm up and cool down, mate. I don't want to clog people's feeds. You know, you remind me of, I saw a tweet during the week. There's this guy on Twitter who was saying that like warm up and cool downs don't count for your overall mileage. Yeah, you know, is, we've talked mate. about that guy before. It's, it's Moose's that's, mate. That's it's who a Moose. Exactly. It's, it's a Moose has actually taken his advice. I know. I thought you didn't <laughs> like that guy, Moose. Mate, elite coach. He's got his own po- coaching podcast. He's a big dog. Coach Alan Webb when he did triathlon. Didn't he apparently. say also that like any easy day Ks don't count either? Only a workout case. Oh, mate. I don't know. All I did was like scoff at it and move on but he also said his session of the week once was wasn't it two by an hour at half marathon pace yeah, with three yeah. Recovery? <laughs> yeah i think he, i honestly think that he's taken the piss and that we're all just suckers in yeah. his little game because he like, never it, responds to any comments and heaps of people retweet him and then he yeah. gets heaps of attention like we're giving him attention right now mm, i think it's all one big game but i haven't mentioned his name though true good i actually yeah. don't know his name uh, anyway, tell us about your week. Uh, started off Monday, so I actually wanted just to stay kind of flat, so I drove up the top of the hill in Anglesey, ran from the chocolate factory on this uh, little trail, you can see, just above Point Addis there, for an hour, so 30 out, 30 back, pretty cruisy, and then um, the afternoon I ran with Allie, actually, she was on the bike then in Aries Inlet. So she was just cruising. We had a little catch-up around Run Strong, a few things that we needed to discuss, which we do on runs. Um, and then she'd already run that day, so she just rode with me. Next day, ran early just before I went down to Ballarat, but tried to tried this sneaky little add-on at the bottom of my loop, but... The problem was that it didn't link up back to the loop, so I had to run on the shoulder of the Great Ocean Road for like 400 metres, and it would have been about 7.30 at the time, which means that all the tradie traffic's heading down the coast to go to work, so it was pretty shitty for 400 metres. That was an hour, then jogged that afternoon. um, Jogged. Oh, this is the one. Why hasn't the map come up? No, it was Tuesday afternoon that didn't load up brady tuesday afternoon yeah. see that's my oh, manual that's yeah, my manual upload day yeah it was too yeah six and a half k we uh, met um toby and and sim we just ran around the golf course up there a bit in the cemetery north ballarat because you can't see then i did a workout with well it was at the same time as toby 
on the Wednesday morning. It was eight by three minutes. I had eight to 10 planned, 60 second jog. This was supposed to be at above threshold, but not quite as hard as 10K pace. Um, the GPS gets a bit cooked on this loop. So the reps were all over the place. And because Toby was doing 3K, F, 3K efforts, yeah, I think he did four by 3K. Um, I would run with him for a little bit and then um, he would take off and then I would jog in a direction that might link up with him. So sometimes I would be running back at him and he would come past me and I would like turn in a, like do it, stop on a dime, turn and run off with him. So some, like it didn't really bother me, but some of the reps were a bit cooked because of that. So the paces were 314, 312, 318, 322. I have no idea how that one ended up in there, 322. That's just not, that doesn't seem right. 313, 310, 314, 311. And this was right in the ballpark of what I wanted. And I got to eight reps and I could have done another two. But at the moment, I'm just thinking kind of like Bradley is thinking sustainability old old man training i don't need to do another two i can do eight and get a good stimulus and then move on and run that afternoon which i did i ran um with sim who she's a patreon actually and she she said she's only a patreon so she can hear her name on the podcast so we're going to throw it out there that sim this is uh have we thanked her yet haven't thanked her uh, I don't I, Maybe we have. I'm not sure. And then you're about to bag her, are you? Because she half-stepped you. What's her last name? McKinnis. Keep talking. I'll she might search. be anonymous on there. But um, uh, uh, then I had a shitty back because I did a lot of box packing on that Wednesday. Drove back home. So just got out for an hour um, on some hills, trails. Jumped on the treddy the next day and enjoyed it i don't know why i jumped on the treaty but felt like it um chucked a movie on the accountant with ben affleck oh is that good yeah it is he's got like autism or maybe asperger's syndrome i think they're similar and yeah it's, it's a good movie anyway I'm, i've watched it before I'm about halfway through um and then did it like that afternoon i had like a link up between tuesday's workout and we were doing a long tempo on Sunday. It was too many days in between just to jog. Well, it wasn't really, I probably could have just jogged, but I thought there's scope here to chuck in a little workout. So I did a, um, what I've called like a bridge workout between the two harder workouts. And we'll talk about this later, but this is like a, an example of a, a, C, a C workout. Uh, but sometimes I've done surges in place of this. So I might do 10 by 30 second pickups along the way. Um, a little bit more than just an easy run, but nothing like that we would call a workout. And so I did 10, 20 minutes easy and 20 minutes at 150 beats and then 20 minutes at 160 to 165 beats, which for me, I sort of think my threshold's around 175. So this is well under it probably even a little easier than marathon pace as well. Uh, so it's not a hard workout, it's just a bit of gray zone area sort of stuff, which I know gets a bad rap, but I think there's a place for that sometimes. So an hour running, we'll call it a strong run, I think some people. I know I see Rose Davies actually does these, call it like an hour of power or a strong run or something, yeah, have you seen that? Scotty Westcott thing, Andy does them a bit too. 
does he? Yeah, probably yeah. go a bit harder than what I've gone. Mine was more a progression run, but same concept, like not a full tempo. Very similar but similar concept, isn't it? Like just get rolling in the second half. Oh, do they go harder at the end? I haven't yeah, looked into it. I yeah. think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not a tough. It's it's a it's a workout you can run the next day. You could probably do a workout the next day if you wanted, um, but it's it's not like it's it's harder than easy. Uh, so that brings us to um, that brings us to yesterday morning, Saturday morning. So I ran an hour on my same loop, but this was a good result because like I've done this ten times now since I did it the first time and. This was about five seconds different, quicker, and about five or th- maybe three seconds, of, I mean, three beats a minute lower um, for the exact same loop. So I feel like that's progress. And I don't put any effort in or anything, like I just run it to feel. Um, and, and so that was a good result. I feel like there's a bit bit going on there. And then I've jumped on the tread in the afternoon because I find it really difficult to stay at sort of 130 beats a minute for me like i want my rg runs or my doubles or my real recovery runs to be quite low heart rate and when i go outside i i I just i'm so impatient i just have to i just start to get rolling and it's find it hard to control that um sort of gets away from me so i jumped on the treadie yesterday and when you put it at like one speed there's no temptation to go quicker because you literally can't so you just lock in at this speed and then your heart rate stayed really low. So I'm not sure what it was, maybe like 125 or something. I'll just have a quick look. Um, I did the same uh, thing. 121. Like, yeah, yeah. I, did, I did the same thing last Saturday. I jumped on and just set it to 12K an hour, which is supposedly five minute Ks on the treadmill and I put the heart rate strap on. Yeah, it was 131. When at the mm. moment, my easy runs have been like probably 140. So it's about 10, probably about 10 beats lower. Yeah, um, and it's it's enjoyable. Like I, I enjoy it. Me too. I think I'm going to use that that concept more. I'm going to when I've at the moment I'm doing 60, 30 doubles, and so I'll go out for the sixty and the hills and the like the wind, the temperature, whatever. Um, go a bit quicker maybe, and then that second run, if if there's no group or anything going, then I'll just jump on the treddy and 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 do a really light one. Listen to you two boys just learning all these things about running putting them into your practices no doubt we are like we are learning we always learning it's it's quite time efficient as well because like i can actually just jump on there and and watch something that i would watch in my free time and so i'm you know killing two birds with one stone Mm. Mm. you should start learning a different language or something on their croaks (laughs) i think i'd I'll just, watch the Japanese or something. I'll, just watch, I'll just watch the footy or some YouTube clips. Um, make yourself a better individual. Watch the footy? What if the footy's not on? Well, the footy's, footy's starting. He'd watch replays, I reckon, that kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. Only of the games that his team's won, though. Tra- trial matches. I'm watching trial matches. <laughs> Go back and watch the grand final of what, whenever it was. That. Uh, What's your team again? Cronulla? The Raiders. The Raiders. No. Canberra yeah. Raiders. Hold him back here. Yeah. I don't know. All those... Anyway, anyway I, I think the treadmill is good, Moose. Like for just building, building your aerobic engine, recovering, keeping your heart rate in check. Yep, yep, agreed. And and even if it's a bit warmer, like stopping you from. I know this sounds so soft, doesn't it? Especially with this Wardlaw interview afterwards. But 
<laughs> you can stay more like hydrated as well. Uh, anyway, I feel I'm a bit embarrassed to talk about it. Like, <laughs> uh, Sunday morning, which was this morning, we went out to the Brecky Creek Handicap Race. So if you're um, the first time I did this, Ali, it was Ali. She was preparing for London in 2021. Um, where she was coming off an injury. So we weren't doing like a full-on marathon-specific block, uh, but so we needed to sort of work on her strength mainly. Um, so she was doing a lot of hillier long runs, and um, and this was one of the workouts she did. It was a 10-miler. Uh, we call it the Breakfast Creek Loop because it runs down a road called Breakfast Creek Road. Uh, it's all on gravel, dirt, um, better in winter it was pretty corrugated today it's a bit soft underfoot in spots because yeah we need some rain down here um but then we did it again earlier this year when i was or no late last year before melbourne i think it was i was on the bike and um we've done it again now because one of the guys here and he's running canberra marathon and um i think we like to do it about sort of five five weeks out from the race but it's uh, 50, it's 15, 16, it's nearly 16K and we handicap it. So the, a couple of people just jog, they're, they're, not, they're not doing a workout, so they take off first. And then um, we had a couple of guys go off. Then it was me, then it, then it was Gunther, then Michael Kernahan, who was down, um, staying, and then Toby. Uh, so it was... I had a, I was running scared. It's a very difficult route and I've gone too hard early on this one. So I've actually never done the loop in its entirety. I've done bits and pieces of it within long runs, but this is the first time I've ever done it as a tempo. And boy, did my heart rate get up and stay up. So uh, like the, you can sort of see the first hill, there's this enorm, like there's this absolute spike. I go from 155 to 174 within like 30 seconds. Um, and then it just stays really high the entire way. Actually, it just, and I, I was, after about five minutes on that first hill, I thought, oh, this would be an interesting experiment to see how, <laughs> how long I can stay at sort of over 175 beats. And I actually stayed at around 180 for a long a long period of time. I just got a lot slower and slower and slower. In the end, I ran the loop in 3:31 pace. Yeah, it wasn't. That's not. That's not a great run. Um, but it's good for me because it's my first like real race effort back from this injury, and um, felt good to get out with the group again around some quality runners. No one caught me, which was nice. Uh, I, I only caught one person as well. Um, but good day. My new knee. So I never used to be able to run down downhill um, because my knee was so shit. And now I can run downhill and I can sort of release myself more and I can, I've got more uh, leg, like, how would you call it? Like flex, flexion. And so, yeah, I feel like my running strides a lot better since I've had this surgery. I'm really glad I got it. Because and today was one of the first times that I, I sort of felt the benefits of the surgery. And Tony anyway. ran the fastest time. Yeah, what did, did he, he get, run? Did he get a prize? Uh, he ran, respect. 
Bit of respect from the group. Oh, he's 53-24 the loop. Yeah, what do you do for the actual loop, though? Oh, he's true. He's got all this one file. I'll yeah, tell you. Yeah, so 324s. Yeah, but what's that for the actual loop? Time 53-24. Oh, so I bet you by two minutes, Moose. Well, that's that's the Strava segment. That's not two minutes, mate. That's under two minutes. You're 55-18. It's nearly two minutes. Uh, How much he beat you by at Melbourne? 55-08. Uh, 20 seconds or something, I think. Not quite two minutes. Yeah, Brady, you would, you would not like this course. Actually, I was talking to Archie about this today on my long run. You give me a lot of shit for not like running hills because I don't run them, but I'm actually not bad on them when I've got a race on them. 12K cross country, fellas. What I was putting, course oh, have you done with hills on it? You I was win, putting guys you win, I whinge about, about it. about the Melbourne Marathon at the yeah, end. Yeah, I whinge about it. a little hill. I whinge about it, but I'm not bad on them. You, Can you imagine this conversation, Brad, between Archie and Brady? 12 Brady, Brady, all Brady, saying, hey, Archie, they give me shit, but I'm actually a gun on hills. Well, Archie we're just about shaking that 12K his head. cross-country race that we did. We came like, oh, I think I was like seventh, and he was like ninth or something. We're like, how did we go that well? Because we were actually, five minutes before this conversation, we went up a tiny little driveway, and we both were like, oh, geez, this hurts. Look how bad we are on hills. And then five minutes later in the conversation, we were like, Actually, how do we perform in these cross-country races in oh, Melbourne? Oh, boy. Just a little circle jerk Sunday long run. And I'm like, it's fitness. Fitness wins out over hill practice any day of the week. Yeah. You agree with that comment? A fitter yeah, person yeah, yeah. will I, beat I, someone who is, yeah. Of course. And that's, yeah. A fitter person overall will beat someone who runs on hills. But two more. people with the same fitness, one does hills, yeah. one I, doesn't, yeah. is going to be better on hills. 100%. I agree with you. And so, um, we should do a hilly race one time. We should do uh, we should do city to surf or something. Yeah, yeah. That's I'd... not that hilly though. We need a hillier race than that. On the roads, you won't find anything hilly than. Oh, is that Decastella Fun Run? You know that one? Mm, I don't. I've never. I've never even seen the course. I think I remember Carly did it one day. Actually, Carly's on the website. If you type the website in, she's on the front page of the website, like jumping in the air one day that she did the run. Oh. <laughs> I remember her telling me that was like rolling hills. Oh, we'll find one. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I'd be up for that. That's a good week. So what'd you say? 145, because this is yeah. 125. 145. Yeah, you're getting back. Have you got any races between now and store? River Run next weekend. 10K, is it? 10K. 10K. Previous winner. Is there a half there as well? Uh, Just no. 10. There's a five. 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 Mate. We have any competition. You better check the sponsors. The sponsors. Yeah, go have a look at the part, event partners. The partner please. run to PB. Yeah, help them out with yeah. the programs and stuff. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I got to know every single distance. And so, uh, Zach is organising those partnerships, by the way. Moose, are you doing any specific training for stall? No, I'm really. I mean, I'm running, and it's a running race. Yeah, exactly. Will you um, win this weekend? No, I won't. Who's going to win? Uh, I got Toby coming down. He'll probably win. Then. Got Gunther's in the race. Got Ferg's coming down. He's fitter than me right now. But you got Gunther's today by like eight seconds. Got Gunther today, yeah. But uh, I might have run my race today, maybe. <laughs> Pressure's on them boys, not me. I'm just rocking up as an old man. Yeah, I like this from you. Just real under the radar. I'll go through my week. I did 50 minutes Monday morning, 4.38 pace, and 30 minutes in the afternoon after school at 4.31 pace. On Tuesday, I got out for um, six by one mile off 90 seconds jog. Same thing you guys have been banging on about. Just like relaxing things a tiny bit, finishing the workout, knowing that you could probably do the same workout the next day if you had to. Even maybe the same workout that afternoon. 
that could be a bit of a stretch, but um, I was trying to think with that kind of mentality as I was doing this workout. I went 508, 505, 510, 505, 512, 511 for the mile reps, which is about 313k pace, I think, I averaged there. And it was good, like my heart rate didn't average over 166 until the very last one. I think that was the the highest one. And yeah, kind of in control, feeling like I'm covering the ground well. 90 seconds, you know, it goes quick. But um, yeah, it was a nice little workout in the end to start my Tuesday morning. Got out for 30 minutes in the afternoon at 4.37s. Recovery day Wednesday, so uh, 50 minutes in the morning, 4.43s. A bit stiff in the legs that morning, but much better in the afternoon for 30 minutes at 4.31s. Thursday morning, listen to uh, the long and the short of it. I've been like proof listening to that episode before it goes out, just to make sure it's all good, just because um, that a couple of controversial things that we had to cut out the last couple of weeks, so I just make sure I listen to this one before it hits the airways. So it's good to kind of um, yeah get the first listen to that one. So that was 90 minutes Thursday morning at 4.18 pace. And like first K out the driveway, 4.22s, which is like a great sign. Like that's when you know things are going all right, when you can just get rolling straight away. Um, so yeah, good signs there. And then 30 minutes in the afternoon. So that's like four days of doubles in a row there, I think. Yeah, 4.24 pace. Friday, second workout of the week, I did a 15 by 80 seconds at around 3.03k pace. So not blowing the doors off, just kind of keeping them that kind of like that CV kind of area and then having 60 seconds jog between. So all up, that was like a 34 minute fart lick. Got a new term for us there, do you? CV. Yeah, Critical nothing about. No, he, thinks yeah. He's, he thinks he's found something. Someone <laughs> listened to a new podcast this week, Croaks. This is a Tin Man thing. This is from years ago. <laughs> yeah. Haven't you very, heard this one before? It's very Tin Man. Very Tin Man. Well, I'm just trying to just keep things, just just do good, nothing sexy. Like, I don't want anyone commenting on oh, any mate. of my stuff. CV is, CV is the most wannabe sexy term there is. Well, I'm just, no, I mean, like, sometimes in the past I've blown the doors off in workouts and then you check Strava and there's, like, 20 people telling you how good a workout is. And I just don't want that anymore. I just want basic, real basic workouts that the next day, as you said, you can get out and you're not going to, like, limp around for the first couple of K to loosen up. Just, yeah, just training under control. Right, I'll, try, I'll try not to pump you up too much anymore. Yeah, so um, that, that was nice. That was a good workout. 80 seconds kind of goes pretty quick. And, yeah, that was – I did kind of like 17 minutes out, 17 minutes back, so that was kind of good to see if I get back to the same point. In the afternoon on Friday, my car was getting serviced, so I had to um, I had to pick that up after school. So I ran from school to Echuca Kia, which was about 30 minutes, at 4.38 pace. Went in there, said g'day to the crew from Echuca Kia. Checked out their new like electric car. Have you guys seen that advertised lately? It looks no. like a spaceship. No. Evo something, I think it's called. They've only got one allocated to their their dealership there, and it's just like, yeah, it's it's something special, that car. Does it get you to Bendigo? I think it said it goes 500. Well, I didn't ask him that, but when I got in the car in the morning after I got dropped out there and then Carly dropped me to school, I um I was Googling it. And yeah, I think it was like 550Ks it gets you off one charge. And it was like zero to 100 in like 3.5 seconds. Any are charging we, um, stations? In, are um... we in, invoicing them for this? We were, um, no, gross. We just help out the Chewy Care dealership when we can here. So um, yeah, we've got a couple charging stations here, Moose. You got a few down there? Oh, I don't think there is in it. Oh, there's... It'd have to be. Imagine all the rich guys driving down there to, in their electric Yeah, cars. I know. That's what I'm thinking, but I yeah. can't. 
We got a few in the middle of town. Where do they put them? Just in. We put them in like car parks. Like like public car parks. Yeah, big public public car parks. There's a few of them in there. I don't think I've ever seen one here. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Um, And then 60 minutes Saturday, nice and chilled out. Had like a real. You know, when you go back to an old playlist. And just like every song's amazing, it just brings back memories for when you used to um, jog along, listening to like some older music. That's what I did on a Saturday, and it was great. The highlight was the Goo Goo Dolls Iris. They're live. Oh yeah. Have you watched were the you live even, version of that? Were you even born when that came out? I don't know what year did it come out. I remember it was like ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah, I was born then. Yeah. <laughs> um, I looked it up on YouTube when I got home though. The same live version. It's had thirty one million views. If you stop what you're doing, stop listening to this and just, just put it on for the next four or five minutes when you know exactly what I'm talking about. Then Sunday this morning, this is the run I was talking about before, got out of Archie, did two hours. We averaged 401s, uh, got rolling a bit. I'm trying to find this hill though. Oh, okay, as I, said, I can't like, find it, the hill. It was a driveway. It was a driveway. Um, oh. Yeah, it was. Well, there are no hills. I've said this many times in town. There are no hills in this well, 115 metres of elevation over 30k. has got a bit of mayo on it then. Yeah, would that like is it just like tiny when the street's kind of going up a lot, like uh, like a slightest bit? Would that be what that is? Yeah, yeah. I think it. I think that is actually pretty accurate. But the street that would be about right. Yeah. Um, Because what did Archie get on his? How many meters? Brady, we do a um, like we got our conversion at the in the um, surf coast just to to make sure everyone's running long enough. Here are some of the. Here are some of the. Uh, what do you mean distance? Like distance to elevation can. Um, oh, not conversion, but what do you call it? Like ratios. Oh yeah, so like say you're going 15k, you want to be doing at least 300 meters or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Oh no, no. So it's an overall for the um, for the week. So oh, yeah. here's here's a couple. So we got um, this week. Matt was 11.7, um, Doki 10.7, I was 9.5, 8.2 for Ali, Hachi. Um, what does this number mean? Oh, it's, uh, meters per kilometer. Yeah. Yep. No, yeah, meters per kilometer. Exactly. Yeah, so if you run 100K, you should do like 1,000 meters of elevation. That'll get you. Um, That's 10, isn't it? 10, 10 yeah. 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 And what's so, the rule? What do you like to get people uh, over? If you're under if you're under seven, you're not doing a lot of hills. If you're over twelve, that's a lot of hills. If you're below three, that is nothing. That's a real problem. I used to always look think ten. I you know if I was getting ten meters per kilometer over the whole week, that was pretty good. And yeah, especially, the, if you, especially if you consider you know some of your sessions are going to be on the flat. Yeah, exactly, and doubles. So you don't go looking for hilly routes on your doubles. Yeah. So t- Toby ran a 200k week. He scored 11. That's very solid. Uh, let me just plug yours in. 154k well, Arch- run for the week. Well, Archie only got 64 meters yeah. on today's run. So that could be. Oh, one. okay. <laughs> but I move. I move my arms more than Archie. I reckon. Just try to get it. It makes no sort of, difference. Doesn't but it? But let's. <laughs> let's quarters. just. Look at you for this. You realize this is I... going to be super low because I don't have any hills here. <laughs> it's not... three. It's three. Oh, yeah, that's all right. That's not all right. Isn't it funny, though? Like, all my PBs are just better than all those guys you're talking about, though. So Let's how Archie. How imp... <laughs> and Archie's PBs are better than all those guys you're talking about. So how Let's important are Archie. the hills? Archie's with the actual real GPS. So I reckon he's even done you here. 
because he's only done 109. What about Archie won this real big award at the Bendigo Sports Star Dinner on Friday night? I oh, know. Archie's way worse. 1.8. So accurate GPS, 1.8. That's the lowest I've ever seen from anybody. And he's still a machine. Still run 29.20. You blokes are going to get shown up one day. One day you'll just run into, like there'll be an event where everyone runs past you and you'll go. Well, I was thinking about that because... Um, might be stall. Might be stall, but that's fine. <laughs> Won't be Launceston team because that's flat. Gold Coast Chris, half Chris flat. Chris Wardlaw, what's he going to think about this? I was talking about him off air, actually, talking to him about the hill stuff. Um, it is interesting, though, and that's why I kind of don't mind kicking things, or well, not kicking, just going a bit quicker because the whole thing's on flat. So, like, some people might look at that today and go, oh, you guys are going too fast, averaging 401s, but it's, like, flat the whole way. Um, so, like, that's the same as averaging 420s, what you guys are averaging over the hills. Yeah, I got you. And I think in the past, we actually probably have been going a bit too slow. Like, we could average 420s, 430s, and you, like, haven't run up a hill for the whole two hours. But it depends on if you've raced and stuff like that, or you've got something coming up. So, yeah, I don't mind rolling that long run a bit more, especially on the flight. Anyway, let's move on, eh? I'm going to right though, fellas. 154, that's a big week. I'm inspired. I'm motivated. Body's good. Good workouts. Nothing special. Hey, I had a question, Brady. Why do you do your 90 and then 30-minute double the day before your session? I like to go on the session tired croaks. The most two important days of the week is Sunday long run and your midweek long run. <laughs> so, so, like, I would have thought doing it on a Wednesday and then having a day before your session would oh, sorry. be better. No, no. So, yeah, so I think the day after the workout should be treated as a recovery day. So if I do a workout on a Tuesday... I'd prefer to prioritize recovery on the Wednesday. So I'll do the 50, 50, 30 double and then hit the medium long run when I'm not as tired on the Thursday, which doesn't smack me up too much that then impacts the workout on the Friday. See, I always found that I actually, I thought that I'd build a fair bit of strength by running 90 minutes to an hour 40 the day after a session. Because you're Just tired. because you're on, on tired legs. and yeah. like. You're not going to necessarily risk injury because you're not running fast, but you're you're just running on on heavy legs, which you don't have that if you've had a day of recovery after your session. Then you do it. Yeah, but and anyway, I, that's just lifestyle wise as well. I, I have to work on a Wednesday, so like yeah. I, whereas I don't work on a Thursday, so I can get out for that longer run. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. I remember you actually taught me that moose. I remember um doing a workout with you on the Tuesday. I reckon I drove to Ballarat and did like that twenty by four hundred. And then yep. I remember doing a 90 minutes on the Wednesday and you're like, no, nah, no, nah, if you're going to do these bigger Tuesday workouts, you can't go do a medium long runs the next day. But that's why I never really do a medium long run. Um, well, I've never been able to handle them. I've never, because mm. life gets in the way. Like I'd rather double and do, do two bigger doubles than run, say, two hours before work. Mm. I just couldn't do it. It just... Like, you would be so unproductive for the day. Yeah, and unless you're getting up, like, like I'd have to get up maybe 4.35 a.m. to fit in that medium long run if I was to do it Wednesday morning. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is just what works with my lifestyle at the moment. Yeah. Anyway, um, good point though, Croaks. Let's go to Patreons. Thanks some of those, hey? Do you want to kick us off, Bradley, at the bottom there? Yeah, so I've got Ben Thompson this week. Uh, he lives in at Tuart Hill in WA. Uh, we think he could be a UK guy living in Australia or an Australian guy who used to live in the UK. Estimated best on Strava are 21.08 for 5K, 44.59 for 10, and 1 hour 50 for the half marathon. Uh, maybe he's been doing some running on the Alter G, 
lately, coming back from an injury, and he also dabbles in some ultras over there in uh, Western Australia. So thanks for your support, Ben, and um, hopefully you're not injured, or if you have been, you're on your on your way back. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Good luck. Who you got, Moose? I'm um, just... Got my, my things just playing up, sorry. You go first. Well, we haven't thanked your mate Simone yet either, but I did look up Croaks to see where we had her name registered at the Inside Running Podcast, and um, your research for the Inside Running Podcast hashtag Stigan One Team, you had her down as a potential 39 pick of 40 athletes that day. Did I? Yeah. Did she used to be a race walker, Moose? Correct. Yeah, that's it. So, um, did you, do you know if she ended up getting picked that day, Moose? Did she run I don't know, style sorry. Hashtag yeah, one? Don't know, don't know, anyway. don't know. Um, I'm going to thank Matilda McKinnon from Flemington in Victoria. 1.32 at the Melbourne Half Marathon last year. Maybe has been to Japan and maybe goes under the nickname Tilds. Um, may or may not play for the Altona Lacrosse Club. Couldn't find much on Matilda. Everything was pretty locked down. But I'm thinking some of those things. I'm heading in the right direction. I'm thinking Macca. Macca. Nah, Tilda yeah. makes sense. Matilda. Yeah, so would Macca. Yeah, Tilda Macca. Anyway, thanks, Matilda, for your support down there in thanks, Melbourne. Macca. Who you got, Moose? Uh, James Macca McKeague from Melbourne. <laughs> 1827, 5K, man, 38, uh, 38, 35, 10K, 129 for the half marathon, 3.34 at the Enigma Christmas Cracker Marathon 2018. Where was that at? I don't know. It's got a good name there, hasn't it? Google it does that. have a great name. Google it was, that one. I think it was in the UK. He got cramps, though. Unfortunate for, for Macca. Rides triathlon a bit. Got that male model triathlon look about him. Mm. What it, it's like a visor with shaved legs. Yeah, um, but you know when you go to a triathlon-like event and like you're banging out 160K a week and you think you look pretty fit and you look like the unfittest bloke there? Oh, yeah, but there's... Like, Mac is in the pool probably doing 10K or 15K a week. He's on a bike punching weight through, yeah. like, punching force through the pedals. That's He's... exactly Macca. He looks yeah. good. Looks yeah. like a real male model. Really? Uh, I mean, yeah. you can't just be fit and be a male model, though. Like, mm. you've got to have a good... Nah, it's got a chill jaw kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Bit going on there. Send a pick. Um, let's go to running news. You're going to kick us off, Moose? Cat Bissett. Got a win over there in the indoor. Oh, yeah. So good race, wasn't it? Well, I only I only saw um, the last like hundred meter clip, and she come from the back. Was it the back? She spent like, a lot of time. Maybe it's only it's fifty meters. The last fifty meters, she came around the outside. So this was she's the Oceania record holder. We know that. She pipped Uganda's world champion Halima Nakai and Ethiopia's Tigas Gurma by three hundredths of a second in the women's eight hundred. So Bissett, who set Australian indoor record last week, finished second on her indoor debut in Birmingham, dipped over the line in two flat 16, two minutes 16, as both Nakai-e, Nakai-e and Gurma recorded 2.00.19. Oh, that's close, right? Yeah. That's real close. Linden Hall, they didn't know who'd won. Yeah, Linden Hall didn't have a great race. 4.07 at the same meet that was won in 3.54. Um so Lyndon not going great. Cat Bissett going fantastic. Mm. World indoor is going to be interesting. Cat Bissett. Yeah. Coming yep. up too, aren't they? When are they? Because the US had their trials this weekend. 
it's, yeah. Mar- it's March. So did UK, yeah. I think they're picking teams. The UK were picking teams. I don't think they had their trial. They don't have trials, do they? Yeah, yeah. Mark Scott won their 3K trial. I thought they were picking on... I thought they picked on times. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it was just their indoor championships. They're not trials. But yeah. They won that. Because I noticed I that they've they... just taken the top top three in the three k. Yeah, not sure. Eighteenth um... to the twentieth of March. Oh yeah, what's that? Three weeks away. Mm. Be interesting. Like Stewie is going to run him, isn't he? Heard a whisper about that. Not sure. uh, I, I'm not sure. Mm. Something to look forward to in the next couple of weeks, though. Any other comments there, Croaks? Before we go to run the bridge. No, just the cat is in uh, in top form, and actually, um, Sam, who I ran with today, he does a fair bit of training with Cat and Lyndon. Yeah. And he said that Cat was on fire before um, she left. Yeah, that's it. Run the bridge this morning. Live stream was good. Great footage of these guys. You get to watch most of the race, which is really good. Split screens, two motorbikes. Um, Battle of the sexes was really interesting. So the women went off first, and. Brett Robertson caught Rose Davies, I'm going to say two steps before the finish line. Whoever worked out that handicap did a brilliant job because it was a quite exciting race. Didn't look like Brett was going to catch her, but it's probably the first time I've seen Brett go like, because the camera was watching straight on. If you haven't checked the footage, go back and watch the live stream. And it's, it's when Brett actually doesn't look super smooth because he's trying so hard to catch her. Like, did you guys notice that? Like, grimacing on the face, getting a bit messy with his technique, and just get get to, like, yeah, literally one step before the finish line. So he won that race overall. He ran 28-37. I'll go with the men's results while I've got him on this same screen. Andy Buchanan was second, 29.05. Joel Tobin-White, 29.08. Eight guys under 30 minutes. And in the women's race, I'll just change the um, gender here. But uh, Rose got the win. And, oh, they're different results, aren't they? Sorry, boys. Stay with me for two seconds here. Um, well, Rose got the win. And then second was Charlotte, Charlotte Perdue. Which and was pretty close. That rule. Yeah, so 32-32 for Rose. 32-37 for Charlotte. And I was kind of expecting, like, Rose to just kick away from Charlotte. Like... And it was an interesting situation for Rose because she had to, well, probably first 10K serious one on the roads, and we're so used to seeing her sit and kick, but she kind of had to use that kick up earlier to get it all out to make sure she was going to hold Brett off. So um, we saw her go to the front probably with 2K to go, I think. Do you reckon she knew Brett was there? I thought she got a real shock at the end. I think she thought she'd won it. Like I don't think she ran through the line. I um Yeah, and I, I hate it when people stop their watch on the finish line as well. You're like, oh, just... Yeah, I think she. I think he came from the clouds, and it looked like yeah she had it won, and then he just came home like a steam train. Um, Nat Rule was third. So if I said to you boys last week, Sinead was fourth. So but Izzy Bat Doyle was sixth. Millie Clark fifth. I wouldn't have had Nat Rule coming third. In nah, and, Nat no. that's a good run for Nat Rule and Charlotte Purdue. Like she gets this label that she's more of a marathoner, but she's she's fit. Mm. She's strong. That hilly course. Obviously suited to her because she was doing a lot of work off the front as well. Um, and she's got speed. I'm pretty sure her PB is like 15, 18 or something from back in the day. Well, I think like to have run a 223 marathon, like you have to have a certain level of speed. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. So it was a good run. But, yeah, like Nat Rule was a surprise for me, like, especially off the back of a well, that's a completely different event. Like she didn't even finish the steeple in Adelaide. Like she fell at one of the water jumps and – um, yeah, so it's a, a good turnaround, and she's obviously in decent shape. 
What do you put down like um, like Izzy? We saw and she was on that live stream after Zadipek saying like her Zadipek performance was like a 5 out of 10, but then came out and had an amazing one at the Adelaide Track Invitation Race where she ran just over 15, 10. And then this one, like she seems to be a bit of a yo-yo with her results at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Well, you go, Moose. Uh, well, I, 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 had, I had her to win, that's all. I didn't expect her to come no, in. Well, so did I. Yeah. I thought she'd win as well. Healy Rhodes, 10K specialist, yeah. Got the speed yeah, and strength. Yeah, we... We saw, like, I think we were all pretty um, pretty pumped for her to hit the roads because we thought that it would, would just happen. But then she did get beaten down in Burnie by Caitlin Adams. And, yeah. and, and then, was But then came back at Melbourne Half, which had yo-yo effect, didn't she? Yeah, correct. And, That's and, right. No, didn't she come back and then win Noosa? I'm not sure about Noosa. Noosa. Bolt? I, I can't... I, I actually don't even know who I got no no idea about Noosa Bolt. I'll look that up because it could I feel like I missed that totally. <laughs> but yeah, she's she's up and down and today it went bad early. Like she was the first hill you could see that she started to, to drift back. And um then that second hill up the bridge, the break was really made and we saw the the group of three pull away, Charlotte, Nat and Rose. So she was really never really looked at all like she was in the race today. It wasn't like she got kicked down the line or something. It was like a well and truly beaten. Yeah, she ran 15.57 to win the Noosa Bolt. What about my boy Andy Buchanan back as well? Had a had a, had a poor performance at Zadipet coming back from that injury and then come out and come to the second in this field. Yeah, it was a good run from Andy. It's a good run from Andy. The King returns. Bendigo Bats King is back right in time as well for the season to kick off in a couple of months' time. So he's going all right. Um, what else bit of news we got there, Croaks? You got something for me? Or just go to listen to the question? Oh, just on, just on the race, like the, the battle of the sexes thing is really good because it means that, like Brett, for example, like if there wasn't that bonus to catch the women, like Brett had that race sewn up and he would have just cruised the last three k, and so it meant that he had to actually push the whole way, which you, you often don't see if somebody's like you know got the weight got the race won halfway through. So I really like that aspect of of the event. Yeah, and like he won, and Rose lost six thousand bucks in the space of like two steps. Yeah. Oh, she lost three thousand. No, I think it was three thousand each for the gender winners, and then six thousand for the first cross the line. Yeah, so she lost. She would have won six thousand instead of three. So she lost three thousand. No, she would have won, won nine thousand. No, really? I yeah, think yeah. I thought it was no, no. I think it's. I think you'll find it's an extra three thousand for being first across the line because we read it out a few weeks back. You, 3, were, 000, you were the one that did that read for that. 3, 000, yeah, so it was 3,000 for... The commentators were speaking like it was... Yeah, and I thought Welsh was talking last week. Yeah. Okay, maybe it isn't. Maybe that's just a way to make it sound better. Yeah, because remember, $6,000 $6, for first across the line. It's the most, you know, ex, um, the wealthiest 10K road race. I'm pretty sure it was six grand whoever crossed the line first, 3,000 for the for the winner of the, the women's... Um, yeah. Anyway. Anyway, listen to question. Yeah. Um, you, especially Moose, often talk of the benefits of running to feel in a race, only showing time of day on your watch and doing manual five k splits. My concern with this approach is that I'd go out too hard, as I always feel good at the start of a race, as I'm fully tapered and the adrenaline kicks in. Would you recommend checking pace on the watch more regularly in the first few kilometres of a race for this reason? And that question comes in from Dave Hughes. Yeah, so I think Dave is actually correct in his own sort of, his own answer. I think he should be the kind of person that should wear a watch. And if he's working with a coach, the coach will tell him or give him a plan of, or maybe even a maximum 
kilometer split that he's looking for in the race that he uh, has to be underneath. Um, some people are really good and self-aware, and and they're the ones that will do better without a watch. And and if you like, if you're very impatient or you're not that disciplined or you don't have self-awareness of um, how hard you're working um, and how long you can sustain the, the effort that you're going at, that's when you you should have a watch that that keeps you in check. Basically, is like the coach on the day telling you to slow down. Mm, well put. And it comes with practice too, doesn't it? Comes with practice. Yeah, it does. The more you uh, do, and, the more yeah. you're in tune with those paces. Yeah. But that said, I absolutely cooked my 15k, 16k tempo today, and I've practiced a lot, and I still got it way wrong. So it, it I think it takes. That's why people should race more in a build, because by the time they get to their race, they're more um, conditioned and they understand the feels and their current fitness. Because if you just go and race once out of the blue, that's you, you don't have a full appreciation for how hard you can push at a certain level because you don't, under, like you don't appreciate the benefits that a race can give you or the advantages of a race environment over training sessions. So if you're just going out and you're doing a 15-week block and you've got one marathon at the end, uh, or, or a 10k at the end, then you like you don't like you you're never going to give yourself a chance to to push properly and and I guess learn your own body to a degree in the build-up. So like I would encourage, like you said, Brady, practicing it. Mm. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I'd struggle to not have splits for a five uh, for a marathon. I think for a shorter race, I could run to feel a bit more. Whereas for the marathon, especially early on, I'd want to just sort of make sure that I'm in the right zone. Um, like I know for Lake Biwa, like I had uh, like overall like race time, lap pace, uh, and lap time, and so I basically would just take manual splits every five k. And then I would have like that lap pace. So, you know, just so I had a, a fair idea. Whereas if I'm racing a 5K, I could do that without a watch. Um, but, you know, because I, I just wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't trust myself in a marathon. Like, to, you know, whereas I think early on, you want to sort of get into the right zone. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Good question. Good answers, fellas. Uh, trade and talk this week. Back to you, Moose. What do you got for us? Yeah, well, this it's not an actual workout, but I thought we'd chat about how we structure workouts within a, a week or a month or even longer. And this is something that uh, like I reckon I've been guilty of in the past when either prescribing them for athletes or doing it myself is I, f I feel like, I, like I, I'm confident or I, I mean, I trust in myself to get the um, get the purpose of the workout correct, which might be threshold or it might be um, a, a tempo run or a VO2 max workout or a speed workout. Uh, but when I go and actually create the workout or design the workout where we look at how hard, how many reps, what rest, um, the duration of each rep, when we sort of like um, draft it up is that I'm always pushing the limits of each one of these workouts. And so the person can achieve the workout 
I'd say most of the days, but there'll be some days that they don't. And I don't, and, and I, I reckon if you have a few of those in a row where maybe like you, you're not quite there, that you start to get in a bit, a bit of a, a negative mental state about workouts and then you become a little more anxious about leading into the workout and thinking, oh, this is going to be difficult. I wonder if I can do it. What will it? And the main worry is what will it mean if I can't do this workout? So it's not that the workout doesn't sort of go well. It's like the meaning behind it and the future of your training and the plan isn't working, this kind of stuff. Um, and so I was just thinking about that. I'm like, well, I still think there's room in a program for those workouts that are challenging and hard because I think that's where you build mental conditioning and you get to test yourself a little bit and you get some confidence from being able to run hard workouts. You get a little bit more race feel. Um, but I don't think we should do them that often. And and I think we should do the bulk of workouts that are probably – 80 to 90% of those big A workouts, which we've been talking about a lot lately over the past month. And and of, like you've, we've seen examples of Brad feeling good after his workout, you, Brady, myself, which I'm gonna call those sort of workouts B workouts. So workouts where like A workouts, I've just written a few, like a, br a really brief description of what I um, consider an A workout. It's a race or it's a challenging race specific session. You taper into the workout slightly and you recover out of the workout. They're good for building mental conditioning. Um, and I think you can get a lot of confidence. And I think there are also some really good physical benefits to be to be um, taken away from these because they are the highest amount of stress that we can we can basically do with our training. Can and I that give, means so I can I give a sample of what a workout I think that would go into this. Yeah, go for it. Uh, say like 10 days out from a 10K race monofart like hard intense pretty 20 minute like you know pretty pretty solid 20 minutes where like 15 minutes into it you're building a bit of mental conditioning and it like almost has that kind of like race feel you're pretty cooked at the end of these 20 minutes yeah i i think you're right there to a degree if you've been given if you've been given the license to really push yeah, sorry, the monofart yeah. which is um, the way it's meant to be like we, mono would say that's the way to do it yeah, that's true. Smack the ons, float the floats. Smack but you the ons. Can, yeah, but you yeah. can prescribe a monofartlek as a B yeah, workout. You can. I mean, yep. the traditional way of doing a monofartlek. I would, I would put it, I would put it more like eight by a k at um, five to ten k pace with a minute rest. Yeah, I'm, call, I'm calling that an A workout for me because I find those quite difficult to get done off such short rest and. I'm always tempted to go a bit quicker. No one actually ever does them at 10k pace; they always go quicker. Mm. Um, so or even your big, even your big marathon sessions, or you yep. know, if, oh, if you're yeah. doing a if you're doing a quarters session and you've actually got specific splits that you want to hit, and that's going to give you a gauge of what you could potentially run for 5k. Like I think that one's a little bit more specific to in terms of like monitor. There's a bit more flexibility with what you do, whereas like yeah, everyone knows, quarters. everyone knows you're going deep quarters. It's like a rough idea of what you can run for 5k. Yeah. And I think I think mentally, you know it's an A1 if if you're basically getting super nervous and you're worried about the session and you've all, you're almost sort of psyching yourself out before you do it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the sign of it. it's an A1. And your mood will probably be impacted on afterwards depending on yeah. how well you did it. Yeah. yeah. Like you'll be and, up and, and about the confidence if you nail it. 
Yeah. yeah, and what Moose said, like, he's been guilty, and I've been guilty as well, where, like, training actually doesn't become that enjoyable anymore, where you rock up every night thinking, am I going to actually be able to do this? Whereas, for me, the last week, I know that I'm going to be able to do it. It's just how, like, mm. how much fatigue am I going to have at the end of the session? But, but I know three quarters of the session is actually going to feel, you know, really enjoyable. Pleasant. You just covered the ground mm. well. Yeah. Yeah. And if you structure these well... And it will differ. I'll get into this a little bit later. But if you structure them well within a program, you can actually get really excited for them. And you can create sort of a buzz around knowing that an A workout's coming up and you get to have a bit of a crack on this day. And it's the same sort of feel that you get for a race. And they're the ones where you can practice those race day routines, getting in a mental state, doing your drills and strides, um, and, and basically just treating the workout a little bit more special yeah you mean park run hit outs in there as races yeah, 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 yeah. for sure yeah. yeah that's one of them definitely yeah. um like and those big like the marathon stuff the long tempos like what i did today a workout 15, 16k long tempo really hard over hills yeah um that is an a workout and if you within a program like just for the coaches out there if you're if you're structuring a, a plan say you're doing a monthly plan and you have an, like, have an A workout there, you know you can't follow it or you shouldn't follow it up with another A workout. Yeah. Um, and, and it depends on the athlete again, but some people might only want to, they might only be ready for one A workout every, uh, like, wow. three or four weeks, yeah. And so, yeah, the B workouts, they're 80 to 90% of, 80 to 90% of the difficulty of the A session. You, you're not going to actually get, like, I can't really give an actual like a, a proper um, amount of what it like a proper uh, um, ratio of what they should be to the A workout, but you you sort of will work them out. But they're the meat and potatoes of of your your workouts. That's what we do most of the time. Um, they've got enough volume, intensity, and duration to be stressful. But as Brady put it before, you should be able to most likely feel like you can do them the next day. Not that you will. And then the third, the third classification is a C workout, and a C workout's what I did on Friday this week, where I didn't want to basically run over my lactate threshold, and I didn't want to do 60 minutes of like a marathon pace tempo or even 50 minutes marathon pace tempo. I just wanted a progression style run where 20 minutes was easy, 20 minutes was just a bit harder than easy and 20 minutes above that was just a little was even harder than easier but not hard and these are the ones that we consider like a, a bridging workout uh, so something to get you between an a and a b or something to put between two b workouts um, or something to they're also taper workouts so if you say like you've got a, a track race on a thursday and you do eight 200s on a tuesday I'd consider that a C workout because it's not very stressful and um, you can, you can, like you're preparing for something. Or you could do it like I, I call them run to the barn. So two to three days after a, a hard race, we want to test the legs a little bit. So we might give the athlete like an hour run, 40 minutes easy, 20 minutes just run to the barn, which for me is progress pace at your discretion. So that's a C workout and it allows the athlete to, I guess, be a little bit more in control of how they um, 
of how they run so they're not they don't have any prescription and they get get to actually take a little bit of responsibility for their own running yeah with, um, with those c ones i've got a bit of a rule that i say um you shouldn't have to recover from them like I remember saying to Archie when he did a workout Tuesday before a Friday race, I'm like, do not flog this because I don't want tomorrow to be a recovery day from this workout. Like It should just be a fine-tuning kind of thing. You shouldn't be that tired that you yeah. can recover from this C workout. I didn't call it a C workout, but, yeah, I like your it, terminology here. It takes it takes discipline from an athlete and it mm. takes education from the coach. Yeah. And it takes – so discipline comes from trust, I, I, I think. If the athlete's not trusting the coach – with the overall plan they'll look at b workouts turn them into a workouts Mm, and they'll look at c workouts turn them into b's exactly um so this is where having good communication lines and good trust good buy-in to the actual program is really important uh because when it comes to actually plugging these into a month or more or less of training some athletes won't be able to or won't or shouldn't go past C workouts for the entire month. Um, If they're injury prone, um, if we felt like they're overtrained, if they're coming back from, for like, if they're coming back from a spell um, or yeah, that those, those are examples of sort of athletes that might not go past the C or, or if they're beginner runners. Um, And you kind of got to earn your stripes a bit. Yeah. Yeah, you do. And you got to get some, some backing before you introduce B workouts and then A workouts come next. And some, like I just did a quick little ratio today when I was talking to someone and I've sort of looked at it and thought A workouts maybe make up about 10 to 20% of your workouts for the month. Um, B workouts about 60 to 70 and C workouts, whatever's left, 10 to 20%. Um, that's how I would do it. and. Um, yeah, I think that's that's how I'm going to do it from now on. But that when depends I, a lot on the individual, like you kind of said before you got into. Oh, that. so yeah, sorry. That what what that's for someone who's fit at the time. So that's someone who's going really well, handling their mileage, don't have any niggles, um, and is in a good place. But yeah, that can change quickly. That could be like ninety percent B workouts, ten percent C workouts, or or that could be. Um, 90% C workouts, 10% B workouts, depending on where the athlete's at in their build. And the A workouts carry the biggest injury risk. Mm-hmm. That's why For all sure. of us three have been banging on about not doing fast stuff recently because it's like we just want to do B workouts and string weeks together. It comes back to what we want out of training. We want, mm. con- we want consistency, consistency, we want yeah. volume, sustainability. And A workouts are the biggest threat to those things. Um, and yeah it's also and it's also more enjoyable rocking up to like a b workout knowing that yeah you're going to work hard today but you don't have to be nervous for it i think that's i think that's the sign of a b um and i I mentioned to you boys like off air in our chat last week but just a i guess a real life example of this i remember Crichton telling me years ago and like he's you know well renowned for not really pushing that hard in training but then excelling in races and he said to me that what he used to do was treat the like basically train at a lot of those B workouts and then but he would try and find a race every three weeks and he said it wasn't so much the training that would bring him up like he would keep those those sessions really controlled and it was the hard race that would actually bring him up to a new level in his training 
and then he'd go back to a heap of B workouts. And the only time he really did A workouts was if there, if he did, you know, if there was a long period where he didn't have a race, he would do a hard, a really hard workout every like three weeks to sort of replicate a race. And that session would obviously bring him up to a new level, and then he'd go back to like B workouts. And then when he went back to the B workouts, would he then have a higher, like, say he's doing threshold work for those B workouts, would his threshold pace be quicker? He'd go to yeah. a new new level. Is that what you mean, or would go yeah, back yeah. to that? Because often it is, because I'm sure you guys have experienced this as well. Like you go through and you do lots of training and then you go to a race and you push yourself way harder than what you have. Everything in training then does, like assuming you recover after that race, everything then becomes a little bit easier than what it did before you went that all-out effort. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Good chat. I like that, fellas. Enjoyed that. Uh, Moose on the loose, purchase of the week, rules of Strava. Um. Well, it's sort of a purchase, I guess, but big announcement from the Hook Spence household, from the stable. We, um, we, Bree and I are taking over the running company Geelong. By the time you hear this, it would have already happened. So uh, it's a pretty big moment in our lives because we first started working at the running company in Geelong back in 2000. I was there 2011 um, when Scott owned it which has been a previous guest and then Brie came and started working there afterwards and we met and then uh, managed it for a while and opened Ballarat and our uh, lives have kind of found us back down in Anglesey um, and so an opportunity arose and the last few months have been pretty stressful in um, transitioning across to, to to us purchasing the store but yeah, big big news from us is that the next time we chat, um, we'll be the owners of the running company Geelong. You'll have the keys. Congratulations. Congrats, mate. Thanks. How yeah. are you gonna, it's it's going to be stressful having Geelong and Ballarat. How are you going to manage your time? Well, um, well, Ballarat has an amazing team right there. We have a manager there, Alice, who, who runs the show basically, and the the guys in the store, like, and guys and girls. Well, they're they're as good as they get so i go to work there at the moment and i kind of just watch them in awe going i'm kind of out the back just doing book work and stuff uh they're handling the business on the floor they're engaging with everyone it's been like they're as good as me on the floor so i that store is going to run itself basically um and geelong like i've we've sort of changed our this isn't i don't know whether this is something that a lot of small business owners find but as their business grows, they, like the actual business owner finds themselves find, find themselves out the back doing book work and emails and accounting stuff and, and really like... All the boring the, stuff. Their value as like, like my value in the store is my shoe knowledge, my passion for fitting shoes, my experience in, in shoes and... and and being able to chat with runners, understand what they want. Like, that's my value. And I feel like I'm as good as anybody at that. Yet I'm out the back, like, paying bills. And, the, like, my value should be on the floor because it's a waste being out the back. Uh, I reckon that would be like that for a lot of business owners. And so at Geelong, we're going to transition it slightly. I'm going to try to find some people to do my book work. And I'm going to be on the floor. Every runner that comes in, I get to have 30, 40-minute conversation with them which is exactly why I got into this business in the first place. And I get to like use all my experience in helping them. So for, like for me, there's a bit of a, a transition in how I approach our business. 
Um, and that's what I'm that's what I'm excited about the most. But reconnecting with the Geelong community after being away since 2016, um, I'm really excited about that. And like the store's bigger now. The, the current owners they did some renos. They created a bigger space and uh, like fit out on Tuesday. The store will shut. Shoot, we, we take a, like settlements tomorrow night. Well, whenever you get this, but Tuesday the the, the store the goes out. <laughs> store will be shut. Wednesday, follow our Instagram, the Running Company Geelong, because we're going to be putting snippets up. I've had some fun with the memorabilia stuff, fellas. You'll love this. Yeah, what uh, photo are you putting on the wall? Doesn't all oh, the Running have a picture on the wall? There's there's a lot of photos going up on the wall, but some of them sure like you got one of me Bra- croaks in there. Bra- sure, Brady Brady's pushing for his store win. Well, you could oh, do yeah. that, Moose. Send what a sash. Oh, yeah, I'll we can get the sash down there. Yeah. I'll yeah. frame the sash and I'll chuck it in the bathroom up up top. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, Moose, it's a bloody expensive purchase just to be able to put your um, Surf Coast Track Club flies for their camp in the store. <laughs> you could have just, just asked them. <laughs> no, we're going well with that. Actually, place is running out. Croaks. Um, <laughs> Who's the no, picture of? Who's the main picture? True. No, no, you'll find out. You'll find out. And... Oh, it's going to be Isaac fun. Isaac Hockey, maybe. Who's it's good from Geelong, Crooks? Motrum. 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 Mark Fountain. Mark Fountain, very good. 331 man, wasn't he? 333, sorry. Um, Louis Rowan. Uh, Ron Clark. No, John Landy. John Landy. John Landy. Yeah. Yep, John Landy. He went to uh, Geelong Grammar. That would be significant, Moose. Yeah. Yeah, I would be. Anyway, um, we're super, we're excited and... Uh, I, I, there's going to be some fun stuff come up on socials. We got, we like, it's going to be fun anyway. We're, I'm, I haven't slept well the last three months, so I'm looking forward <laughs> to some good sleep. <laughs> All right, that's good. Exciting news, and we're done, aren't we, fellas? We go to the interview now. Chris Wardlaw, the coach of Steve Monaghetti and Karen McCann, amongst many others. Craig Modrum at the end of his career. 211 marathon runner, two-time Olympian, 10K finalist at the Olympics, head coach of the Australian Olympic team, 2000 Olympics. Had fun doing this one. What a joy, what a privilege it was to uh, spend 70 minutes with this guy, boys. I really enjoyed this one. I know you guys uh, said you did too. Very good. Looking forward to giving it to the listeners to listen to. It's an interesting chat. I found um, there is a, like, it, it, it comes off the back of our chat about why we haven't seen Aussies break Deke's record. It comes off the back of that chat because the closest one to do it was Mona. And then the other guys that have done it, say um, Troopy, not quite Derek Clayton, I don't think, but Troopy, actually on Derek Clayton, brilliant interview by Andre Legersh. Oh, well, he was part of it as part of like a um, cardiac podcast or something. Yeah, but just type his name in. Very good. Um, Deke. Uh, Deke, yeah, yeah. So... It's interesting because we haven't come close in the marathon, but um, I feel like we're running as good as we ever have in the 15, the 3, the 5, the 10, um, the half. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it's interesting. There's something about what they were doing for the marathon specifically that was good um, and that maybe that we've found ways to run faster over the shorter distances. Yeah, I think what he says makes sense. I think that's some good points. I agree. Anyway, Good. so uh, we'll throw to that now. What do you got coming up, fellas? Moose, we know what you got coming up. What are you doing there, Croaks? Uh, three sessions this week. and um, Three A yeah. sessions this week? 
No, nah, it'd be like two Bs, and I'm going to do some hills on Saturday, which, uh, like, that'll be, like, moving forward, one of the more intense sessions. But because it's my first one, I'll, I'll ease into it. Very good. I like it. All right, boys, do it all again next week. Thanks for your time. See you later. See you, boys. See you, fellas. Oh, actually, something else that's coming up before we go, Pat Tien and Jack Rayner both doing a big 10K over in the US March 3rd, which I think is like Thursday, Friday, this coming week. So, And it's like loaded field. All those Bowman guys are there. I'm expecting. I, I reckon Pat will break his own Australian record, but Jack's flying as well. So it'll be interesting to see what they, what they spit out there. But you heard here first, Australian record's going down this time next week. Pat you reckon? rarely races. When he does, he nails it, other than that last lap at the Olympics, but that was still an amazing performance. Um, and these Bowman guys set him up to be fast, and he will go with it. We know he will. Well, we don't see Tin and run against a lot of Aussies, and so it's going to be really good to see him and Jack run. Like, if, if Jack goes with it, then it will be great to watch. These are guys that are breaking 13, though. Like, yeah. they're going to be going through in 13.30. That's Jack's yeah. PB for five, isn't it? We got Jack at 61 for the half and yeah. just coming off a Zatapec win mm. on a on a shitty night. Psychologically, though, it's a bit easier for Pat because he already holds the Aussie record, so all he has to do is run a PB and it's an Aussie record. So I think it's a bit, a, it's a bit more of a daunting task when you're so – like Jack, you know, he's, what, 10K PB is 28, 59 or something. So yeah, I'm not, su- I, I'm not suggesting off. that. I, I don't think – yeah. He'll go. He'll he'll run a significant PB, Jack. Like he's in he's in better shape than twenty. Oh, sorry, twenty seven fifty nine. Yeah. So he might run what twenty seven thirty five. You think, but then Pat Maybe. might run twenty seven twenty and break the record. What's Possibly. the record? Twenty seven twenty two, isn't it? Something like that. Twenty. Yeah. Twenty two. Twenty three. All right, boys. That'll be interesting to watch. See us next time. Enjoy this interview, listeners. Australia's leading sports micronutrition brand, Pillar Performance is leading the way when it comes to high-strength formulations to support running performance. Pillar's range is purposely formulated to support optimal recovery, elevate energy production, relieve joint inflammation, and boost immunity. Pillar has become the choice of Australian sport thanks to their formulation quality and batch testing program. Currently working with Ben St. Lawrence, Izzy Bat-Doyle, and Riley Cox, along with more than 30 professional sporting teams across the country. Pillar's range is led by Motion Armour, a revolutionary joint inflammation and longevity formula, perfect for those with a high training load on the track, trails, or road. When it comes to recovery, their best-selling triple magnesium powder is leading the way, featuring three forms of bioavailable magnesium to optimize recovery, improve sleep, and have you backing up after every session. The Pillar team has an exclusive offer for Inside Running listeners. Head to their website and use the code INSIDERUN to receive a free sports bottle and travel tin valued at $15.99 with any purchase. To redeem this offer or for more information on Pillar Performance and their range of sports micronutrition, head to pillarperformance.com.au. All right, this week's guest on the Inside Running Podcast is one of the most influential people in the history of Australian distance running. As an athlete, he is a two-time Olympian and a four-time representative at the World Cross Country Championships. And as a coach, has coached some of Australia's greatest ever distance runners, including Steve Monaghetti, the late Karen McCann, and Craig Mottram at the end of his career, just to name a few. 
Chris was also the head coach of the Australian track and field team at the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games and has a wealth of knowledge on the distance running scene. Welcome to the Inside Running Podcast and thanks for giving up some time. Chris Wardlaw, or are we calling you Rab? Which one do you want, Chris? Chris or Rab? Yeah, thanks, Brady. No, I, I, in athletic circles, it's normally Rab. Some people keep calling me Chris, um, but, you know, mainly it's Rab and, uh, you know, happy I've had that nickname forever. Um, well, so well, I think people use it lovingly, so I'm happy with it. Well, my co-host Julian Spence, who I do the podcast with, he wanted me to ask the first question, where did the nickname come from? Yeah, it's a good question. I sometimes wonder myself. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, it definitely started at school. Um, I went to Melbourne High and um, uh, I, I'm pretty sure one of, the, one of my mates, uh, a late uh, who died you know, a dozen years ago, uh, Roback, uh, he gave us all our nicknames, all our you know, friends and so forth. And I caught Rabbit. Uh, and it was because I, if you see me running and you know, there's footage in the old world, uh, I'm very upright and, and, and prance a little bit. Um, so that was a, a bit of the way it started. And, of course, like all nicknames, it, it got shortened. So Rabbit's been lost um, and it's just playing Rab now. And my grandkids call me Rab as well. Yeah, awesome. And um, that was a pretty big introduction. Like I've done a lot of these interviews and, you know, planned introductions for, I think I've done about 150, 160 kind of interviews, but your one has many aspects to it. And I'm, I'm always interested, like, how do you um, introduce yourself when you're talking to people? Which aspect do you go with? Um, yeah, I, I, love, um, I love being a 10,000 metre finalist at the yeah. end you know, people who, um, you know, aspire to do really well, I think they recognise what that means. Um, and uh, I have to say, in the old days, we did a heat and a final, unlike, you know, today, where they just roll around for one final. <laughs> it's a, you know, we did it hard in our day. Uh, so I, I do like to say I'm an Olympic finalist. Um, I, I love the coaching and, um, uh, you know, I've loved... Um, my relationships with a whole heap of people, not just the Monas and the Kerens, mm. um, people that I've worked with over the years who have got their own PBs, uh, not at that level, but they, they aspired to, you know, get to a high level and I, I've loved being part of that. Um, one thing that's sort of forgotten but the fun run world sort of would understand, I, I'm the only Australian to have won the City to Surf and Beta Breakers. Um, and the other person who's done it is the great Kenny Moore, um, who was uh, fourth in the Olympics and, of course, one of our foremost riders. And he, as he, an American, won both of them. So I'm proud of that because people like Mona and that didn't, uh, <laughs> um, and Jared Barrett and so forth didn't. So I'm pretty happy with that one. There's a good claim of fame. They, uh, often on this podcast, we start with people's PBs. So if you've got any interesting stories about these PBs, feel free to add them in. So I've got your 5K down as 1334 in 1977. You were fifth in the race. Can you remember any other details about it? What happened? Where was it? Uh, yeah, it was at Melbourne and it was in the days when we had pretty good crowds and uh, we had all the, um, uh, we had a big uh, a load of people who came out for it, including people like Hilton Brand who'd won the bronze at the Olympics um, all the Australians were there. It was one of my really, really good races. Um, I, I would consider myself um, the least talented high-performance athlete in the history of the universe. 
Um, I, I wasn't very fast at all. And, and I can tell you how I, my, my uh, 800 PB was worked at to get under two minutes to run 159 was a big, big thing for me. And I had to do some extra effort to get there. But I ended up, you know, being able to run uh, two minutes, you know, coming home in a 1500 and, you know, fast at the end of the 5K. But that 5K PB, because uh, I, I, of the crowd, I like, you know, I played the crowd. I, I took the lead at about 500 and, you know, just in time for the crowd to give it the <laughs> Um And uh, I, I was, I, it's one of my more pleasing PBs. Um, I, I, at the time, I think the world record was about 1313. Um, you know, so it was, it wasn't an, um, it was a pretty good run. Uh, and I, boy, have I been knocked out of all time lists in in five k and ten k, yeah. sort of hanging out, hanging in a bit in the marathon, which might be another yeah, we'll get to that discussion why that that may have happened. So that I my my ten k pb has a bit of a story to it. Um, yeah, so the twenty eight fifteen, and you nearly so got you just missed it at the Olympics, so didn't you? We twenty eight seventeen at the yeah. Olympics, yeah. Yeah, uh, so at the Olympics I ran 28-17 and in the final 28-28 or 29, something like that, uh, four days apart. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, my feet are still feeling it. <laughs> um, but the 28-15.6, I actually set up the race and, you know, some people have joked that I um, uh, produced, directed and starred in the race um, and I love film, so I like that sort of notion. But I got... Uh, people from around the country to try and come, Max Little and uh, Jimmy Langford from WA and Steve Austin, I think, was in it and a couple of others. And we ran it after a pro meet at Olympic Park because uh, we had to find a time to do it. And I'd, I'd improved radically. Um, you know, I'd, I'd taken a minute out of my PB uh, and, and I saw myself on the curve and I thought I could get, get the qualifier. At the time, I think it was 28. 40 or 30, okay, I've forgotten yeah. what it was. Um, anyway, I ran it and uh, I always remember um, it was pretty windy. In fact, I'm going to say we needed grappling hooks uh, yeah, okay. to get up the straight. And um, I was a bit worried about the wind and, and I had, we shared the pace. In those days, we just shared the pace. We didn't have a pacemaker. So, you know, we'd take two laps each. Yeah. Um, and... Um, uh, but I was worried, and, and Pat Clarhassie, who was my coach, um, he obviously thought I was a bit worried because I was a bit worried about the wind. And anyway, Ron Clark had come down. This was at, I think we ran at about 10 o'clock at night after the pro meet. And uh, Ron Clark came across and uh, proceeded to tell me how actually a wind could be an advantage. Um, you know, you rock, float with the wind and then you work, you know, really work into it and they actually it, it's better than no wind <laughs> i believe you because yeah. you're wrong clark yeah um so uh you know clarky says that so i forgot about it but uh, in that race i actually ran the last 400 in uh, our last 5000 in under 14 minutes um yeah. so yeah, about 13 13 58 um so it was a really really good run but anyway we had hand times in those days um you know no electronic timing and uh the way you timed it was uh, you had three watches, which I'd organised, uh, you know, officials and so forth. And Paco Hesse held one of the watches. And, um, and one of the watches was, um, you know, 28, 15.3. 
One was 28, 15.8. And Chloe had the middle watch, which was 28, 15.4, which was two tenths, or it might have been one tenth ahead of Clarkie's record, which was the best by an Australian at the time in Australia when he ran his 28, 15.6, which was the world record when he ran it. Mm. And um, I, I very quickly said, can we, Chloe, can we call yours 28, 15.6? Because I want to be equal with Clarkie. I don't want to break it. Oh, right. So it's a bit like, um, you know, our Australian captain who equaled, um, equaled Bradman's record, the 334 not out. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's uh, part of the story. But the, the rest of the story is that uh, I broke the record and it was Australian record and uh, I got the certificate. Um, several months after, Fitzy, David Fitzsimons, had broken my time about two weeks later when he ran 28-12. So I only held it for about two weeks. Um, anyway, it's, uh, it's one of those stories that, you know, it's sort of in my memory and God knows how much embellished it is now. Oh, that's okay. We can add a bit of mayonnaise to these stories a few <laughs> years on, that's for sure. Um, and then your marathon, the 2.11.55, when you come seventh at the Fukuoka Marathon in uh, 1979. bit sad that Fukuoka had its last um, last event this year, but must be fond memories from that day. Yeah, well, yeah, Fukuoka was, uh, in our day, was a huge event. It was like the world champs, wasn't it? Like there yeah, was, was no world champs and everyone went there? Yeah. Effectively, you know, it, it was labelled the world championship and, and they invited, um, you know, and I've still got the book, which was the next year where I was an invited athlete, but I didn't go because I had a um, calf injury. Um, but that year, um, I, I was uh, ran up there with with um, Bill Scott and Len Johnson, and uh, Scotty and I ran, and we both needed a qualifier for the Olympics, uh, even though I was sort of more going to ten. Uh, Scotty was more 10, but we, we were thinking marathon as well. Um, and we actually dead heated in the race um, to 11.55. You'll see us in the, in the ranking list together. And uh, we'd raced each other to blazes, you know, for, for, for 26 miles. Uh, and I got ahead of him. He got ahead of me. And then at 50 Oka, there's this sort of quite steep climb to the track of a couple of hundred metres. And uh, the last lap is around the track. And um, around the track, I think I said to Scotty, do you want to, you know, uh, dead heat and hold hands, uh, which I've done previously with a couple of things in interclub, which I, I was, I don't know why I did it. I used to enjoy doing it with people. And um, so it could have been a touch of arrogance behind that. Anyway, um, uh, we, we came across the line. Scotty collapsed on the track and I, you know, I wasn't too bad, so I felt as though I'd won, um, you know. And I leant down to him and I said, Scotty, you know, you're okay. He said, just just leave me here, Rob. I've been to hell and back. And that was it. That was his <laughs> commentary. And then um, what we got was Scotty got got the result, you know, by a hundredth of a second because they had timing. Uh, so he was sixth and I was seventh, but Scotty, Great man that he is. Uh, he gave me the sixth place trophy and he's got the seventh place, place oh, trophy. What a legend. Yeah. yeah. So it's a nice story. And, it, you know, Scotty's, um, Scotty and Fitzy and Steve A and, um, you know, all those guys, uh, Deke, of course, um, you know, 
we had a wonderful, wonderful era um, where we, you know, loved our athletics and uh, we competed, you know, hard against each other. But uh, I think we had a really deep respect for everybody. Mm. We'll get to the mar- a bit more conversation about the marathon later on because I've got a few, uh, a couple of listeners have written in some questions knowing that you'd be on the show and you're inter- interested to hear your thoughts on it. But I want to take you back to Montreal, 1976, the Olympics, your first Olympics, where you said before you had the, the heat of the 10K four days later, the final. Um, and then you also entered in the marathon as well. So it was a pretty, pretty strong couple of, uh, well, that, I think there was the marathon was five days after the 10K final. So that's a huge eight, nine days. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was phenomenal. And um, I, I had, I didn't really have any intention of running the marathon. I'd only run one marathon prior to it. Uh, in those days, it was, I, I consider myself a, you know, a 10K runner and a cross country runner. Um, and, um, more cross country than road, really. Always uh, love cross country, uh, but there was uh, Dave Chettle was in the race and he'd been selected. Uh, but in those days, there was the opportunity for the manager to put um, put you know fill the spaces. Uh, a bit different to today, where it's a lot tougher um, to make the team. Um, and I put up my hand well and truly before saying, "Look, if I get through the ten, I'd love to love to do it." Um, and another. The 20K walker, uh, brilliant walker, Ross Hayward, who was a very good runner. Um, he put up his hand as well. So the three of us ran. Um, and I sort of, you know, told the story that um, Ross and, and Dave both pulled out. Dave had a shocker, um, you know, nothing like his career. And he's, you know, one of our great, great marathoners. Um, but I, I sort of, I was in the lead at halfway and I was starting to even, you know, think about my speech. Uh, and uh, but I, you know, the two tens, I, I I did get fairly blistered. Uh, the spikes, my Nike spikes, had no blisters on them at all. It was they were all on my feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the spikes were perfectly unblistered, um, and uh, I got through that. And no excuse, you know, and I probably wouldn't have made much difference anyway. But uh, but I got through halfway, and I was very very pleased to finish it, um, and. Uh, you know, we were running up a, a, an avenue at the end called Prefontaine Drive. Yeah. Um, and those of you who know running, um, it was it was stunning to be on Prefontaine Drive. Um, Steve had uh, had died, you know, the year before. Uh, just before I'd run a 16K cross country, uh, I heard about it that morning and, and it actually inspired me to run possibly one of my best cross countries ever because uh, I thought if Pre's no longer with us. I've got no excuse. Um, and hammered Scotty that day by a minute, <laughs> actually. <laughs> um, so running down Prefontaine Drive was great. And another little thing about that 76 Olympics, um, if you look at the um, uh, lighting of the torch, you'll see two young athletes, a female and male. Uh, the young male, his surname was Prefontaine. Uh, so, you know, it had a sort of a, a really yeah, significant interesting yeah. feeling and um uh you know i was inspired by people like Perry and brendan foster uh, i named my my first son under, after bren um because i just loved the way they ran um really you, you mean like the gut running off the front yeah the gut yeah. running and um you know brendan in particular uh followed what clarky had tried to do you know a real kick down um and surging and uh, I, I tried to adapt that to my own running because I wasn't fast, as I mentioned. You know, I had no real 
speed per se, uh, but I, I really needed to learn to be able to run as quickly as I could to the finish. Uh, so I learned from Brendan and Prue that you, that you don't have to run fast at the start. In fact, I'm all about relaxation at the start, but there's a moment when you decide to go and when you go, you don't go half-hearted. It's, you know, to the finish. Yeah. And Brendan was, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't he, he'd throw in like a 60, 62 second lap, like three or four laps out, wouldn't he? Like, yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. When it was, you know, hardly known. In fact, mm. uh, he, he occasionally, I think there was a 3K once where he threw in 57 or something like that, you mm. know, in the middle. Uh, and and not when you'd expect it, not in the last third, actually in, you know, a little bit after halfway. And uh, I I passed that on to Mona. You know, Mona had some fabulous battles with uh, Andy Lloyd. Uh, and Lloyd, had a great kick, as we know. Mm. Um, and we had to find ways to, to handle Lloyd. And um, one of the things that I'd learnt in my own career, but Mona had more skills than me uh, and was able to do it, you know, with, with sheer um, rhythm. He would, he would, he learned to be able to do a savage kick down and and just get people off the bit. Um, mm. And he won four Zatapex doing that. Yeah. What did you learn from that first Olympic experience? Uh, I learned I wanted to go to the next one. Yeah, motivated. Um, what a lot of people do. Um, I I felt as though I could be at a at a very high level, um, and. Um, I also had started to think about marathon uh, as potentially better, a better fit for me. Um, so I, I do remember sitting in the sauna after the marathon in the village uh, by myself and, and uh, basically committing myself to get into Moscow in the marathon. So I'd made that decision. Now, of course, then you've got to execute it. Yeah. Uh, but I had it in my mind, uh, you know, that, I, that was what I was going to do. But I learned, you know, there's some great runners around the world and it's a, a great sport and um, it's a beautiful sport. Yeah, and you were 35th there, 223. So I know there's some listeners who would be interested in what that result was there. So then four years later, it wasn't um, probably as simple to Moscow, Russia. The boycott happened for a number of countries. And from what I understand, you played a big part in getting the Australian team there. Yeah, and... Um, you know, it's it's something I don't dwell on much nowadays. Um, I'm incredibly proud uh, that we went, mm-hmm. um, and uh, when I got most proud was in nineteen in two thousand. Uh, they we created a cup, uh, you know, the souvenir cup uh, was Australia uninterrupted to the Olympics, um, never missed the Olympics, and that's still with us. And at the time, Coatsy, uh, I roomed with Coatsy in, in, um, when he was uh, with the rowing team in, in Montreal. Uh, Phil Coles, who was the manager at the time in 1980. Uh, Ron Casey, who was the commentator for Seven, was so committed to getting to the Olympics. Um, and we worked extreme. And Ron Clark uh, was, was fantastic in the background. Um, so we had a lot of people helping. Uh, but I, for whatever reason, I ended up being the sort of the front front person um, of it because a lot of the swimmers were young. I was I was thirty, um, you know. So people like Deke, uh, Deke and Jared Barrett and that they were much younger than me. Um, 
Rick Mitchell was very significant and worked with me on it. The late great Rick Mitchell. Um, yeah. And um, so I'm really, really pleased we went. Um, and um, now we have a, a you know a UN um, United Nations um, motion before every Olympics saying let's make sure we don't have any um, wars or uh, while the Olympics are on and most countries vote for it. But I do note Australia didn't vote for it this year, um, which was very, very unfortunate. Um, Australia politically. Um, mm. But, um, yeah, no, I think it's, it's, um, it's fantastic that we, we ended up getting there. But I ended up getting there tired, I have to say. <laughs> uh, and the deep ran magnificently and it was the basic the start of you know the great Dean Costello career and you were 28 I think to 2042 hot day too yeah, yeah it was yep. very hot um it was so hot Brady it was ridiculously <laughs> hot 40 degrees <laughs> yeah you guys don't know what it's like uh, <laughs> no it was it was very hot and very humid better state for everybody and summer marathons are like that mm. Um, you know, we've had Beijing in 2008 was very hot. Rio was very hot. Uh, Tokyo this year, I wasn't there, but gee, you knew it was hot. Mm. Um, and it's part of what you deal with. Um, I, I, found, I thought I was a pretty good runner in the heat, so I never ever made it as an excuse. Um, uh, but, um, you know, I, I after the race, I, I had to be carried to the toilet by Deacon Clowes, so so dehydrated um and uh, it was you know to finish i thought was a, a fair bit of courage i'd have to say um but i was so pleased that uh you know we saw the start of de costello's career mm. where he you know ran so beautifully to run 10th as a kid basically yeah yeah and that, can you talk a bit about that era of like training so like were you I know you mentioned Pat Clohesse before but at this stage were you had you worked out your own system and were coaching yourself or, or what did it look like? Yeah so um, essentially uh, I like everybody else I, I ran as a kid um, I was a keen runner uh, but got to first year uni and, and lost my way uh, it was 1968 and we were burning the campus down at Monash, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the May riots in, in France, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, um, you know, and I gambled. I love gambling, still do, but I have to keep myself away from it. Um, and uh, so I did virtually didn't run for two years, two, four years. Uh, but Bruce Jones was there, um, who's a double national cross-country winner. Um, and uh, he is now living in New Zealand. Uh, but Bruce got me back running, um, and that was a story in itself. I, I, I was just driving down Ferntree Gully Road, if you know Monash, uh, just before Monash, the Huntingdale uh, lights, Huntingdale Road lights, and I literally, something happened. I don't know what it was because I'm not, you know, I'm not a religious person. Yeah. Uh, you've got to go for a run. And I thought, I, I just came and I, we had a nine o'clock lecture with Bruce and I sat down and I said, Bruce, I've got to go for a run. And Bruce was one of our best runners at the time. I've got to go for a run. He said, well, come down to the sports centre and, um, and we'll go for a run. I had to actually find some shoes to run in. Um, and Bruce, of course, um, decided to do a 12K loop out of Monash. I hadn't run for ages. I'd played basketball that was it 
And uh, of course, he started dancing around me and, you know, making me, I got there in the end, but it was terrible. Mm. Um, and I vowed then I'm going to beat Bruce. <laughs> I'm going to beat Bruce. <laughs> and uh, I hadn't beaten him at school. Um, he was at Melbourne High. And um, so I, I started training again. And um, Bruce and I substantially uh, developed a bit of an approach. Um, I, you know, I'd done the, the classic quarters, you know, with a long interval. Um, and, I, you know, I was able to run uh, a half a dozen quarters in 59 seconds, you know, with a long enough interview, interval, slow jog, walk. And I was still running 410 for 1500. I couldn't understand this. And uh, I started, I just started, I remember hearing Clarkie say, um, you don't get to stop, you know, at the end of a lap. Mm. And, uh, and I'd read Frank Shorter. He's got a lovely book, short story. You know, it's a, it's a mimeograph. And Shorter was a hero. He'd won the, won the 72 Olympics. And uh, he, he'd mentioned a session where he'd done quarters, 400s, at sort of race pace, but with a very short recovery. Uh, and he called, yeah. it a, he called it a 100-metre jog. And uh, I tried the 100-metre jog and couldn't do it, so I turned it into 200. And gradually I turned it into a float. Um, and that's where the quarters came from, you know, eight quarters with a 200 float. And uh, I went immediately from 409 to 344 in two years. Once you got the strength there. Yeah, just yeah. the strength. And um, I was concentrating on strength rather than anything else to be able to use my limited speed. So I gradually developed. And then I, I was Deacon uh, Tim O'Shaughnessy, Pat Clough, as he is. He's a devious person. He got me to pick him up from Monash. So I'd pick him up in Barker's Road and take him to training and, and Chloe was there and I started working with Chloe uh, and Chloe taught me relaxation. You know, he really understood the bowling run, you know, just going for a comfortable run and, and feeling good. You know, he taught me feel uh, in a big way because uh, we didn't have, you know, we had the, yeah. we had the Nilex clock at the time. <laughs> that was our timing device. Um, and, um, so Chloe and I had started working together and, and I was really with Chloe in, in 75, 76 as I boomed. And then for the next four years, it was Chloe and I uh, and we developed the system together. Um, and I borrowed a couple of things we'd done at Melbourne High Como, which was a hill session um, and uh, Lincoln Hills in the, in the gardens um, and gradually got to Fernie the long run, uh, Chloe said, you've got to get the volume up, get the volume up. Um, so that's, you know, effectively how it works. So I give Bruce, myself and Chloe, and then when Chloe went to, um, to Canberra uh, and Deke went to Canberra, it was a fully developed system by then. Um, it's a very unique situation, though, where you're, you're, you're the athlete but as well as the coach in a way and having that input to the coach who's then, like, he could have easily just said, that's my way on the highway, kind of have no, no input kind of thing. Like, it sounds like a very special relationship amongst you all. Yeah, no, and, and it's because it's based on a set of principles. Mm. Twelve, right. isn't it? Twelve principles? Yeah, yeah. So we don't, you know, we never, ever, people ask me what my favourite session is. Well, what's the key session? 
both Chloe and I would say the long run. <laughs> if you're really insistent, it's the long run. Um, and then if, well, what's your second favourite system uh, session? Well, it's the middle of the week long run. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a way of telling people about volume. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, the classic is, you know, a marathon or a 10,000 metres. It's, it's a real competition with gravity. Um, and there's an iron law of specificity. Unless you run a lot, you, you cannot achieve your potential. Um, now, those who are really gifted um, uh, can, you know, find other ways of doing it if you're very light-framed and so forth. But Deke was a heavy guy, for instance. And Chloe would always say, Deke had to do the first 20K before I got out of bed in the morning mm-hmm. uh, because I was skinny and light. And, and it's true. Uh, Deke did a much higher uh, volume than I did. Uh, and Mona, um, interestingly, though, Karen, um, I learned so much through coaching Karen, I worked out very quickly she was capable of the same volume as Mona. Uh, and what's more, we covered quicker um, mm. because of the lower, uh, the higher fat content. Um, so she she actually recovered more quickly from from big, you know, big Sunday runs than, than uh, we would have. So it is an empirically led system. We learn by doing, basically, um, and, um, and gradually got, but it's got more flexibility than people give it credit for uh, because, you know, some kids are, young people are at a totally different level of development. Um, but the principles are the same. Run a bit. <laughs> yeah, so... Is it run as much as you can handle? Is that kind of what you mean? Because there's going to be some people out here who are busy listeners, you know, busy three times a week they can run. So you're suggesting they kind of do as much as they can fit in those three days and like not worry about the workouts and go for overall mileage or like, yeah, I know I know what you mean because you're talking about the most elite runners we've got in the country. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. I, I'm, I'm all for the person who just wants to get a bit better. Mm. Um, because what happens once they get a bit better, they want to get a bit better. Yeah. And then they want to get a bit better. Um, so they start managing their life around running. Uh, but if you're fitting your running into life, which most people do, um, you know, what I encourage people to do is look, make sure you run long. Now that's in inverted commas because yeah. long is a developmental thing. Uh, long once a week, a medium run once a week, uh, and then uh, if you've got time in a, uh, another run, belt home. Really yeah. try and, you know, run the last 10, 15 minutes, as, you know, really solidly. That's, that's a, what I, that would fit within our systematic System. framework. Do you think there's been a flip with that, though, where people maybe take, you know, they prioritise those workouts and hit them as fresh as possible twice or three times a week and kind of neglect those other days and cut their medium long run, maybe, you know, 20, 30 minutes shorter, whereas you're saying back when you got, and, you know, we're talking about the most successful um, era of marathon running and half marathon running, I think you'd say as well. So, yeah, do you see that stuff now and kind of get a bit frustrated? Yes, I do. Um, uh, Another saying is you've got to be fit in order to try. Mm. Um, And I, I suspect, and I think it's at middle distance as well, um, but I won't, I won't say it at 800. I'll say it's 1,500 out because I get killed if I mention 800. Uh, although Chloe would argue that he's done very well at 800. Um, but 
but um, uh, I, I do reckon there's too many shortcuts. Uh, people think that they can train before they're fit enough to do the training. And the, the so-called sessions, uh, you know, which we all do, hard, easy, three days, three days in the week or thereabouts or three and a half in, you know, four and ten or however you want to, you know, set up your, your training schedule. Um, in order to do them well, you've got to be very, very fit. Uh, and I would, I would argue that we're we're better off doing smaller sessions at a high quality, um, and making sure your long runs and medium runs are done as effectively as possible. Now, people think, oh, is this long side distance? Well, nothing like it. Um, we, you know, we and we laugh about, you know, some of our ten milers on a Monday night or a, a Saturday morning. You know, we, we would seriously run home, you know. Now, because it's an Ilex clock, we don't know what, what we did. Yeah. Uh, but but I would I would argue that, you know, we would have quite often hit uh, 4.30 miles, you know. I, I'm quite confident we would have been doing that towards the end. Well, under three-minute K pace towards the end of, yeah. 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 So, and then would that happen every so, like, your your Monday, you're rolling home like that, off tired legs on the Sunday. The Tuesday, shorter workout. The Wednesday, would you get rolling again before yeah, the Thursday workout? We, yeah, we had some, you know, and we never raced. Yeah, okay. no, we never raced. Inverted commas are going here. Such a high quality, you know, pack. Uh, it was called the pack, uh, and those who chased us were the posse. Yeah. Um, you know, we we would roll home, and of course, if we weren't ready to roll home. We didn't, and of course we relaxed, and you know uh, we didn't get defeated. Uh, we just so, uh, and I was quite competitive. Now Deke uh, was phenomenal at not taking the bit, and I think he learnt more about relaxation than I did. Um, so um, I, I think you know part of his strength, and I think Mon is the same. Uh, sometimes people would laugh when they went for a long run with Mona. You know, he'd stop and have a chat with somebody, you know, after 10K. And, and you know, <laughs> um, so it, this this idea of relaxation, but running as you feel and really coming home. But, I, you know, I have a proviso because if people were written a schedule, they feel as though they've got to do the schedule. Whereas my argument is the schedule's there as a guide. And you should run as you feel, not what yeah. Strava tells you you should be feeling. Okay. So if you weren't feeling it, you just people would just, so people would just ease off saying, I'm not getting in, I'm not getting involved in this kick down today. I'll see us back at the park or where the cars or wherever. But if you're feeling good, there's a license to, to open up a bit. Absolutely. And uh, even on our easy 10 on a Friday night, uh, it, it could get quite willing at the bottom of the 10, you know, yeah. quite willing. Oh, it sounds like such an amazing, um, amazing time, and you must have formed some amazing relationships throughout that time as well. And obviously, said, you said before, like racing each other, like you had a lot of respect for each other when you'd race each other as well. Must have so many fond memories looking back on it. Yeah, no, the you know the relationships are great. Um, you know, I, I feel as though whenever whenever we bump into each other, we've always got that camaraderie. Um, and, uh, you know, we did a lot of mileage together and we did camps together. So, we, you know, we're at Falls Creek um, every year. Uh, and, for you know, I, I remember 
uh, John Axenteeth and I did the four weeks, the first four week block. Uh, up until then, it had just been, you know, 10 days and we decided to have a bit of a crack at four weeks. Um, and then it became, you know, I, I spent three months up there in 1980 to make the team. Um, and, you know, our stars now um, spend a significant period of time up there, which is a little bit about, you know, fitting the, fitting the life into running. Um, if you're going to get to a, a very high level, um, yeah. So yeah, no, we we would see ourselves all as good friends. And what you what you've just explained as well, you guys are doing this after working a day's work, like you're meeting after work on a Monday and a Friday to to do these ten miles and stuff. No one was the professional athlete that we see now. Nope, uh, none of us were professional. Um, Deep probably came close to professional when, when he went to the AIS, but he was still working as well. Um, and um, you know what? Um, and we had, we had you know, rules. Uh, 5.35, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, 5.05, Wednesday, if you weren't there, we were off. And, uh, and if you were late, you ran backwards on the tan. So everybody knew the first lap was always on the tan. You ran backwards and joined in. Um, Saturday morning was, you know, 9.30, uh, Sunday morning up the hills. Well, it started at 10 and then I said, you know, all the Catholics wanted to go to church. And I said, no, look, we're getting up there a bit earlier. Uh, so uh, I think Chloe, got, Chloe and Thrill Vincent have got permission uh, from the Pope for us to go earlier. <laughs> so we went, uh, started at 9 and then we got to 8.30 because we're running long. Um, so, and they, they became set rules. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it was part of the beauty because we encouraged anybody to run with us mm. and uh, everybody knew uh, that they could come down and run with us any night, any day. Um, and, uh, again, I think it was really good because other coaches would learn bits of the system. One of the ones I talk about is Sean Quilty, uh, you know, wonderful athlete. He did a lot of running with us, but his coach, John Hurst, was, you know, I chatted with Hursty all the time. Um, and, um, you know, it was a, a, an accommodation. So Sean would run with us perhaps three times, uh, you know, Sunday morning and um, he'd, he'd do uh, Friday night and a couple of others. Um, so it, it and others did the same. Um, they, they joined in um, and, you know, I didn't see myself as competitive with other coaches at all. I wanted us to work as a, a team basically to get as many good runners as we could. Yeah, and when you've got a system like that set up, I can imagine as the leader, like, and you've obviously worked your professional career in leadership and stuff like that as well, it just makes it much smoother, like, because everyone just knows what the rules are, the system to follow. You don't have to stand up at the front every day and explain what's happening because you just just follow the same thing week in, week out, I guess, in a way. Yeah, no, that's right. Tim Oz makes the joke that you don't need to write anything down because it's the same week, week after week <laughs> at uh, Tim O'Shaughnessy. Uh, who's still a promising senior. Um, but, um, yeah, so, yeah, the, it was, it, I think it really did help people having that structure and uh, everybody welcome. Um, and, you know, we saw it everywhere, you know, with lots and lots of PBs uh, and, and people running well. Um, so I, I think it worked well. What we've got now is we've got a whole series of small groups um, but I know there's some work being done, particularly middle distance, to try and get some people together. Uh, and I know, um, you know, Andy up in um, 
in Bendigo's, you know, mm. doing a bit to try and get people together and so forth. So um, I've, I'm a big believer in the critical mass. Mm. Um, you know, if you've got a group, you've got a shared ambition, um, it just takes all the effort away because you know where to go. You know those moments, oh, God, I've got to run 18 miles tonight, you know. Oh. But you know there's going to be somebody to do it. Yeah, yeah. you just got to get there. Yeah. Once you get out of the car. Um, some of the – you explained in kind of the quarters before how you kind of changed it from the the longer kind of, um, you know, interval between the repetitions to the floats. But is it right to say that Deeks got the naming rights for that workout? Should it be you, <laughs> the 8 by 400 with 200 metres float between? <laughs> He's been doing it. He's, everyone's been going to Deeks yeah, quarters for years. How to get me, don't get me started. So Monofartlek, yeah. Deeks quarters, yeah. are both mine. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm happy to have stars like them attached to, the, attached to them. Um, now, the quarters were definitely mine with uh, Bruce Jones. Uh, before even Deeks was a, a bit in, he may not have even been alive. Uh, so... Uh, and the monofartlek's a classic story. There is a bit of difference over the way Mona tells it. Well, we've, had, we've had him on a couple of times. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's told his version, so it'll be great to hear <laughs> yours. I know. So my version is um, Mona rang me um, and, uh, you know, wanted some coaching. And uh, I then we met and I you know, gave him a diary, which he talks about how, you know, significant that was. And if you read his diary, it's a, ha- a fabulous route. Um, and uh, anyway, we're, we're, it was on the phone and I said, you know, just do some fartlek mine. And uh, he, was, he was a kid at the time still. And uh, Mona, being Mona and being, you know, Brady or anybody, Oh, give me some structure. Mm. You know, what does fartlek mean? I said, well, what do you mean what does fartlek mean? It means speed play. It means run as you feel. It means run fast, run slow. And anyway, but he wanted structure. So I literally over the phone just made it up. Oh, look, 290s, 460s, 430s, 415s, uh, equivalent recovery, but make sure you float because... People, when they say I'm doing intervals, I bet if you had, you know, 10 people out there, a lot of people think the interval is the actual repetition. The interval is the time taken between repetitions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so for me, it's all about the interval, what you do in the interval. And so I said it's got to be a float, you know, same time difference but a float. As it turns out, it turned out to be 20 minutes. At that moment, I didn't know. I just said four. And uh, anyway, it became one of Like, And you, it's all over the bloody world. It <laughs> is, yeah. And, and it'll never and, be Rab's Like I understand that. And it's um, one of the best bang for your buck 20-minute. If you're time poor, you do, you know, a 20-minute warm-up, 20-minute fart like that one, 20-minute cool down, that's a great way to get very fit within the hour. It's a phenomenal session. And, you know, everybody's done it. And, uh, you know, lesser names like, you know, Nick Harrison, who ran 210 a while ago. Um, Yeah. So many have done it. Uh, Sean Crichton, he started actually, uh, (laughs) he was the first one to really sort of try and create a record out of it, you know, and I think he was one of the first ones to run something like 1325 or something. I always likened it, if you could break 
14 in the quarters relaxed, you break 14 at 5K. Uh, yeah. And it was a reasonable, reasonable test uh, with the quarters because it's 12 laps. Um, but those two sessions, I think they're, they're the right size of a session to go with the volume. Mm. Um, the volume's critical. And we train twice a day, you know, at least 12 sessions a week. Um, I, I, you know, encourage people to have one or two, two days off. Because that's been the misconception over the years that people have looked at, oh, how can you run a fast marathon doing a 20-minute fart like on a Tuesday at 15 or 17-minute Deeks quarters workout on a Thursday and, you know, a hilly tempo on a Saturday. Like, But, but you're saying that's, that's just the meat and the sandwich. You've got to do all that other stuff, yeah, alongside it. It's a whole cake. Yeah. whole cake. And I'll tell you the story of Deke, you know, it's well-known. Uh, we used to have a, a competition for successive days. And, uh, you know, I think I'd got up to, you know, 270 or something. And there's a long story about Deke and VCE and, you know, he's bloody doing his 20 minutes. We had a, you know, a high court ruling over what a run was. Yeah. Um, and it shouldn't be 20, it had to be over 20 minutes. It's now 23 because we're so slow. Um, but, um, uh, Deke did, leading into his world championship, two full years of twice a day, every day. Every day, yeah. Never Cons- missed. Consistency. That's, that's pretty yeah, pretty phenomenal, isn't it? With all the things that and, can come up in life. Yeah, and now Sean Crichton, who's bloody in his 50s. Yeah, I follow him on Strava. He's done four years without missing a day, averaging 50K. That's, that's just ridiculous. There's some days there where he's just hanging on, though, that we were talking a couple of weeks ago. Maybe he should take a couple of days off to get his body right, but he's got through it. He's keeping that streak alive. Um, Rab, what about a couple of – I've got a couple of, like, interesting questions for you here. I'm sure you get this one a lot. We talked on on our podcast, actually, last week about all the Australian records getting broken. Pretty much, I think we figured out – 800 through to the half marathon minus Karen's women's half marathon minus Craig's men's 5K. But the two marathon ones, no one's looked close. You've got near Deke or um, or Benita. Well, we got, you know, close relatively, but not, you know, not anywhere, you know, super close. And, um, yeah, can you, what do you put it down to? Like we've got the talent, obviously, because we've got the, the guys are fast over the five, the 10. Yeah. And the, um, yeah, no, and the uh, half. I, yeah, I think we've had quality marathoners. And uh, I know um, Nick Harrison, you know, loved the thought that he was, he was the last fastest man uh, back in 2004, up until, yeah. um, up until Liam. Ran. So on your system and then Troopy on pretty much the same system as well, wouldn't he? Like the last yeah, tour, sub two ten yeah. guy. Yeah, Troopy was very similar. And Troopy ran 13, 14. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Um, you know, minor variations, but no, substantially, you know, he was with minor and, and so forth. Um, so, um, you know, people like Brett and um, Robinson and, you know, Jack, Jack Rainer, Liam, yeah. um, they should be able to run faster. You know, I really do believe they should be able to run faster. Now, I'm not au fait anymore with how they train and what they do, so I can't really understand it. Uh, you know, Brett's a finalist at 5,000 and, um, you know, he's, he's had a real crack at marathon. He's still running 2.11. Um, 
Um, I, I, my suspicion um, mm. is they're not doing the consistent volume that I think they need. Um, uh, and that goes for, you know, for the last 10 years I'm talking. Mm. Um, and what is that number you reckon they need? Oh, you've got to be you know, minimum 160K. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I like 180 to 200K. Yeah. But, but over many, 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 many weeks. Yeah. I think a lot of people think, oh, look, I can do three months of long running. Right? Yeah, look, if you keep choggy, maybe. Um, I, I'm just not convinced our runners, uh, and I'm talking women as well. Now, Sinead, um and, um and Jess uh, have shown that the women are, you know, running pretty relatively quick. Uh, they're still a fair way away from Benita's time. Um, but, but clearly they've shown that, you, you know, you can run faster. Um, do they focus enough on the marathon? Not convinced. Uh, too many races. Um, I understand why they race. Uh, and I'm not talking about anybody specifically here. I'm just mm. saying that I think uh, too many races and not enough training, um, not enough big, big blocks of training, um, not enough cross-country season. I'm um, big believer in cross-country. Um, you know, Mona and Deke and, and Nick and Troopy, they, they did a full cross-country season, you know. Um, any Crichton, yeah. you know, yeah. a, a, a lot of them. Um, I'm not convinced they're as focused on the marathon as they could be. Now, to be fair, they've got a lot more opportunities to do things to not focus on the marathon. Yeah, yeah. You know, they've got road races all over the world. They've got indoors. You know, it just goes on and on. They've got world championships every second year. Um, you know, back in the day, it wasn't quite as uh, obvious. Um, you know, back in our day, City of the Surf was the big race and everybody ran that, but there weren't any others, you know, yeah. that people have to run. Um, so you mean like they've got to, yeah, I guess because they're doing it for their job as well, got to make the most of some of those races with appearance fees and sponsor bonuses and prize money and things like that, which then leads to tapering for the race, doing the race, recovery for the race, um, whereas you guys might have been, you know, 40, 45 weeks of year round doing 180, 200K weeks, whereas these guys are dipping up and down and then maybe, you know, two or three months before a marathon, they go into a 12-week marathon block. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I've said, you know, athletes have come to me with their diary, I, I do a bit of a diary analysis. And the first thing I do is add up the long runs. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, we, we did... Um, you know, in a 52-week year, um, we, we'd do at least 40 to 45 Sunday runs. That's and, you, and you're talking like two and a half hours? Two and a half hours. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and the odd three-hour. You know, we'd always do a three-hour, five weeks out. Um, you know, it's a tradition I've done with all my marathoners. Um, just to go, you know, beyond what you'd normally do. Yeah. that's another um, thing I think changed though sorry I reckon that that's come down to two hours now like everyone thinks yeah. you know if you're doing two hours on Sunday you're doing you know enough but yeah maybe that needs to go back up to two and a half minimum yeah you've got to be running and you're doing them over hills yeah and and over hills uh and then we do an 18 miler on Wednesday yeah you know um so uh and I even you know 
uh, I try and say to more middle distance types, people would be shocked at what uh, Craig was doing with Nick and uh, before him, uh, Bruce. Um, he was doing substantial volume. Uh, people won't believe it. He ran his 348 mile, you know, running his 15 miler every Sunday, you know, good bowling 10 milers. Um, he did much more than people would be prepared. They, they'd probably say, no, it can't be. Craig Mottram couldn't do that. You know, mm. couldn't be doing that. But he was. He was. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know enough about Stewie and that, but I'm sure they're doing good volume, even at middle distance. Yeah, I think it's pretty well documented that he still do, you know, the, the 8 by one k and the longer workout. And then, you know, I think I read somewhere they, they hadn't run a 60-second um, 400-metre rep or anything like that before he ran that 350 down in yeah. um, Tasmania by himself. Like, yeah. he's got, it's all off strength. It's not off that top-end speed Fabulous stuff. Fabulous strength. Fabulous yeah. Strength. Back to the, the, the Mottram um, reference, like what was it like in 2009 when he, I'm assuming you, you met him or he called you up at the, you know, after the, the split with Nick, a bit of a, it was pretty documented at the time as well and common knowledge that that wasn't the uh, cleanest separation, I guess. And then, yeah, yeah you were approached to, to take things over. Yeah, so, you know, it's up to Craig to tell those stories. But, um, uh, yeah, I'd met, you know, I knew Craig and met him and, you know, and back in 2000 when he was a kid yeah. and made the team. Uh, loved him as a runner. Uh, always loved him as a guy. I think he's, a, you know, a, a really smart guy. Um, so I've always admired him. Um, and then uh, after 208, uh, he, he talked to me two or three times before, asking me to coach because he, he talked generally. He was very, very good about, look, you know, do I go to America? Do I get coached from America? You know, what are my options here? And he looked, you know, uh, widely. And we had two or three, you know, long coffees <laughs> in, um, in Albert Park and, and places. And then he asked me to coach him, which was, you know, great. And I'd sort of dropped coaching a bit because I've been in Hong Kong and Mona and Karen are gone and Nick and everybody, Nick Harrison. And um, so I, but, you know, it was Mottram <laughs> and I certainly wanted to, to help. But he was also very injured. Mm. Um, Achilles, wasn't it? At the yeah, time? Achilles, yeah. yeah, he had uh, significant Achilles issues. But uh, he also hadn't finished his degree. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm an educator. Craig finished the degree. So he did that. Um, and he worked really, really hard to get get back to full fitness. And it took a while. It took a while. Uh, and again, it was a, you know, there was no real reason why he, he may have, you know, had lots of Achilles injuries. It could have been weakness, could have been overdoing it, could have been not having enough rest, could have been a whole host of reasons. But we basically just went straight back to nothing yeah. and then build up from that. And He'll laugh about, you know, I'm a big believer in walking, strong walking for lower legs. I uh, did the same with Susie Power when she was badly injured um, and didn't look like she could get back. Um, I'm a big believer in power walking. I mean, getting out and yeah, walking. Briskly, you know, yeah. Somebody like Craig Mottram and Susie Power, <laughs> they, they think, you know, this is insane. How could he go? But they got into it and did it. Uh, I just think it's, Easily the best thing you can do for lower leg injuries. Just gets the blood flow. Uh, you learn to walk quite fast. You know, I'm not talking a, a dawdle here. I'm walking fast. 
Uh, so, so Mockram did like everybody else did his walking. I still think he disowns that he probably said, I didn't walk, yeah. but he did. <laughs> and then it must have been really rewarding getting him to that 2012 London Olympics. I remember um, I, I was sitting in the crowd at the, I don't know if it was called the Melbourne Track Classic when it was raining that night where he kind of, because we hadn't seen a few results for him for a while and then he came out and, you know, ran with Collis off the front there and kicked past him in the last lap and ran 13-18 and it was kind of like you could see the emotion on his face coming down the straight and it was kind of the rain coming down and, yeah, I'm sure you were in the audience there that night as well and just think he was back in a way. Yeah, no, it was a great moment for him and me um, because he, we worked so hard on the injury um, and he had a lot of support from various people uh, to get right. And he, he went to Sweden in the end for, for his operations. Um, but he, um, uh, it was interesting before that. He, he had a shocker in Sydney in a 1500, absolute yeah, shocker right. uh, for him. You know, for us, it's probably not too bad. Yeah. Um, and uh, after it, he went to the warm-up track and he, he was seriously running around the warm-up track at bloody 4.30s, you know. I thought, oh, God, you know, I've got an angry man on my books here. And he came over to the top, over to the, you know, to where I was at the warm-up track and he said, that was shit. I'm going to make that Olympic team <laughs> two weeks. Just you wait, Henry Higgins, basically. And... Um, then went off running and then, you know, he calmed down and he came back and, and he said, what am I going to do? And I said, you're going to Falls Creek for two weeks um, because I felt he needed to just take everything away because he had all the, you know, stresses of life. And this is why I love people going away. I used to make all my athletes go to camp um, and there's so much research behind it. It's called the camp effect. Uh, and uh, so we sent Mottram up there basically by himself, I think. He, I don't even think Christine went up with him um, and stayed for the two weeks. And, and what he did was that the first week I had to organise him to do his 400s. Uh, he wanted to do it on the track, so at Aubrey. So I rang up Scam, Pat Scammell, um, who's another wonderful athlete I, I coached, um, mainly in the third part of their career and just a wonderful athlete. And I rang up Scan. I said, look, Mottram wants to do 400s, you know, because it's a classic, you know. Mottram yeah. knew what it meant. You know, he already understood. If I can get a good 400, I can get my confidence up. Uh, so Scan got the key. Mottram drove from Falls Creek to Aubrey and ran 13.20 for the quarters. The Deeks quarters, yeah. <laughs> and then... and. You know, coming back, I'm right. <laughs> and then I'm yeah. Like, we'll just take the next few days, not too bad. And then he came down around 13, 18, and, yeah. um, and tactically we'd worked it out. You know, Collis was a beautiful runner, but we knew how we could beat him. And, uh, you know, Collis, we think, played into it, into Craig's hands and um, Craig, you know, outkicked him over the last 200. He's not the first person outkicked by Craig Mottram. <laughs> yeah. It's um it's an interesting one though, isn't it? Because you don't want your you don't want to be racing the workout too close to the race, but at the same time, he needed that confidence booster to then go to the race. Like, and you, yeah, yeah obviously, it was ten days before, which is about right. Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah, were yeah. really a really substantial, you know. And I had speaking of Scammell, you know, Scammell had had a um a, 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 what we'd call a signature session. It wasn't mine. It was uh, Dave Moorcroft's of um, 
yeah. uh, three uh, sets, 1K, 600, 1K, 600, 1K, 600. And uh, Scannell knew when he got it right, he knew he was ready to go. He knew he could run 145 or 335. Um, and uh, so, you know, learning how an athlete thinks about what they can do, um, you, you know, is part of the part of the coaching game. Yeah, yeah, and knowing when to yeah, implement that kind of stuff. Hey, a few quick ones for you before we uh, wrap up. Sydney Olympics, head athletics coach. Yeah, Mona's racing. I'm not sure if you had any other athletes also racing, but must be, you know, the, the hype around Kathy Freeman at that Games as well, home Olympics. Um, explain that experience to it. It must have been amazing. Uh, well, I, you know, it was... I, I often say, you know, how, how lucky could a person be, be head coach of the track and field team at the Sydney Olympics? Mm. Best seat in the house. Um, I had six of my own athletes in the team. Six, okay. Um, and, uh, you know, Mona and Karen were the stars. Um, but I, had, you know, had other terrific runners. Um, and, uh, but we had a, a large distance team. And while I didn't coach them all, uh, I had terrific relationships with their coaches, um, you know, uh, so Mark, Mark Crowley, who was um, with Norm Osborne, um, you know, great 1500 metre runner. So I, we had a terrific team. So I love the distance aspect of it. We had a terrific team, terrific camaraderie. Um, and, um, and, you know, just being head coach, working with Freeman uh, was wonderful. Uh, she's just a wonderful athlete. Um, and you know, I saw I went to Eton to watch a train for about ten days with with Peter Fortune, and oh God, she trained hard. You know, um, she really trained hard. <laughs> and uh, you know, again, that was something I learnt. Uh, you know, about what it means to be a you know really classy four hundred meter runner. But again, Fort works a bit on volume, um, mm. but you know, in a different way. Um, yeah, so it you know, look at. Yeah, it's it's irreplaceable having had that experience um, and a wonderful team and um, yeah it was all been all downhill since. <laughs> <laughs> was it stressful? Like you got a lot of people yeah, to of manage course. in a position uh, like that. Yeah, of course, and um, you know you and you felt that you know I've got a whole whole raft of memories about you know the the stresses and so forth. Um, you know, we we I always remember having dinner with Freeman in in England after you know she trained hard and and Murray Plant the late Murray Plant mm. was at dinner and um, you know we were talking generally and of course the Olympic four hundred meters was on everybody's mind <laughs> and uh, and uh, Murray started suggesting that it was it was Catherine it's just like the school sports you just run a really top class four hundred and collect your ribbon and <laughs> so it became a bit of a joke we called it the girl in europe and uh, because she was in europe most of the time and um and you know she was running the school sports um and we saw what happened you know it was phenomenal were you um like trackside you have a special viewing position of that yeah, race right over the right over the finish line yeah <laughs> yeah no it was um you know, every session, every day. And, you know, the memories, you know, I got to know Jane Savile really well, uh, went to it, had a camp with Jane in 1997 uh, for the Athens Athens Worlds at Monorani's Great Bronze Inn and, um, 
we were at a place called Ostia outside Rome and all the walkers came with us. So um, Nick Ahern and Jane Savile and, and, and others. And um, uh, so when Jane at the Olympics, you know, I was down at the, you know, the walking and yeah. uh, coming up and I thought she had the goal. And I ran, you know, I cheered her just as she was heading down the race. And then I raced in to get to my seat. In the stadium. In the, main, in the meantime, she has been qualified. Yeah. I yeah. was counting the gold. <laughs> and, uh, but Jane came back and got a bronze in uh, Athens, which I saw, which was, you know, wonderful. Have you thought about um, writing a book? You've got so many good stories. I've, I've got that many more dot points here we could we could talk about, and I've taken up too much of your time tonight. Yeah. But, and you're good mates with Len Johnson, who's a, who's a writer. Like, Yeah, I know, I know. Len's never made the offer. Um, oh, come on, Len, he listens to this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's heard them all before. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> yeah, no, I've got a million stories. Um, yeah, I have, um, ironically, um, well, you can't see this because it's just a, talk first but uh, you know I started yeah. collecting some stuff um, and you know I'm I have got sort of ideas in my head and but it's my other life as well in education and mm. having worked in Hong Kong and um, you know two big bureaucracies Hong Kong and Victoria um, and a you know relatively senior professional job um, in education so I've got this idea of you know both careers uh, one a passion project and the other, you know, a professional well-paid mm. project. Um, and and the common thing about it is capability building uh, mm. and high performance. Yeah. Um, so I've got a conceptual frame uh, that I'm I'm thinking about, but um, you know, finding time to do it's the next thing. Yeah, we're just talking off air before we hit recording. You seem like you're a very busy man for someone who's um someone who's retired, I guess. Yeah, I'm practicing retirement really badly. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so I've um, you know got a couple of boards and one um, chair of the Victorian Curriculum Authority and Assessment Authority, which you know affects all teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know and that's a it's a labour of love, but it's also a big responsibility um, at the time. Uh, but I, you know, I'm the board chair. It's the poor staff and CEO who have to do all the work. Um, but you report directly to the education minister, isn't that right? Yeah, so yeah. the board chair goes to the minister. Uh, but through, you know, the CEO and secretary are heavily involved. And uh, we've had, you know, lots of issues during COVID um, trying to get year 12 through, which thankfully we've done. Uh, but not without a lot of loss for kids who mm. who have missed um, what I would, you know, term a really important part of their lives, you know. Um, year 11 and year 12 uh, it's a significant social marker and we all look back on it um, yeah. and these students are going to look back on it in, in, a, in a different way but they will they will have had a, a thing I think a different resilience um, than maybe we had when we went through. Last one for you Rab, um, reflections from the Tokyo Olympics and then, yeah, pre- love them. and then into uh, your crystal, yeah, sorry, and then into your crystal ball predictions for how we keep that momentum going into Paris yeah. and the World yeah. Champs Com Games. Yeah, so look, we uh, Tokyo was terrific, um, and those middle distance performances in particular were just wonderful. Um, so we're, we've got a real cohort at the moment, um, 
some of them in America, unfortunately for us, but uh, so be it, and they're doing really well. Um, and, uh, you know, we had a great Tokyo, but, you know, from Ash Maloney, you know, through to Lyndon, you know, through to Patrick Tien and, um, you know, some wonderful performances. Um, we'd sensed that in Rio. There'd been an uptick in Rio. Um, wasn't as obvious, but there had been. And then we had a, had a really good Com Games. Um, you know, mm. the half dozen performances there were, were really world class, but we sort of tend to downrate it a bit because it's, you know, the Com Games. Uh, but so we suspected we were going to do well, but we did better than we thought. Mm. Um, there's no question about that. And now we've got a two and a half year window to, to um, uh, Paris. Uh, I'd like to think that um, we can do better. Um, because I think we had a couple of holes. Um, you know, I think we, we can definitely do better at 10K, and I definitely believe uh, in men's marathon we can do better. Um, so, um, you know, we've got really good 800 and 1500. You know, we've got some good steeple chases, mm. which is nice, you know. Um, so we've got some depth. We've got some great coaching. Yeah, nearly full um, teams as well. Like that was the most exciting thing. Every day you could, you know, you knew someone was in action. Every day, yeah, people progressing through the rounds. Um, so it was exciting for us. Um, but we've got to keep it going. And, and, you know, Paris will be, like anything else, it'll be tough. And, and we've got um, this year in Eugene, which will be fantastic, you know, going to, I hope some of our distance runners are inspired to run in Eugene. Um, and I know I would be, and I'm going. Yeah. Um, and uh, then we've got Budapest next year and we've got the Com Games, of course, in Birmingham. So we've got a busy schedule. That's why I, I hope athletes do their block of training. Um, mm. You know, you've got to be very careful about, you've got to keep building building the block. Awesome, mate. Well, I've taken up enough of your time tonight. As I said, we kind of, um, yeah, I had a few more dot points to go. Maybe in six months, 12 months' time, we can do a bit of a part two and see what yeah. your, you know, your, your views on the sport are 12 months you know, down the track. And, yeah, I'm just so grateful that you gave up some time for us tonight. And I know the listeners will absolutely love some of those stories in there. And, yeah, massive thanks for what you've done for the sport over your, uh, over your years. Great. Thanks, Brady. No, I really enjoyed it. And uh, those who are listening, you know, hope you get out for a lovely run tomorrow. A long run over hills. Long run over. Thanks, Thanks, mate. This episode of the Inside Running Podcast is brought to you by Pillar Performance, Australia's leading sports micronutrition brand. Head to pillarperformance.com.au to learn more about their formulas and how they support recovery, elevate energy, and relieve joint inflammation.